Welcome into the Draft Report Podcast. I'm Jack Borowski, joined here alongside my co-host Sam Teets. On this episode, we go over the college football playoff games, take a look at Sam's updated top 200, his mock draft 1.0 before finishing off the episode with the prospects we've watched recently. So to start uh, with these college football playoff games, I think you could argue like the first three and a half quarters of both games weren't super entertaining. And then the finishes that we had were pretty incredible. The Michigan-Alabama game, which we'll talk about first. And then Washington-Texas, which I, I just, every single you know second that went by, you had no idea what was going to happen. Those last minute and a half, I would say. So um, both were pretty incredible finishes to have. Uh, first, with, with Michigan-Alabama, Michigan ends up winning in overtime on a fourth down in which Jalen Milrow, another bad snap from Seth McLaughlin, the center. That was a constant, like, I don't know if chaos is the right way to say it, (laughs) but that Alabama offense was just all over the place. And then I felt like Michigan's offense started out with the first play of the game. Caleb Downs almost, you know, ended things (laughs) with with an interception, but luckily he was out of bound. So, Odd game, but Michigan ends up coming out on top uh, and they advance to the national championship. So what were your overall thoughts for, from that game? Yeah, it was crazy from the start. Like you mentioned, uh, JJ McCarthy almost ended Michigan's game right away. The Wolverines really took every opportunity they had to shoot themselves in the foot. And they still came out on top. And you have to give a lot of credit for the performance overall to the defensive side of the ball. Obviously on offense, they got things done when they needed to, but the defense really kept them in the game, I feel like, throughout the course of the whole day. And for Alabama, too. like Alabama's offense was not doing anything, really, for most of the first half. And yet they went in down, what, three or four points? They, it was, they were barely down at all going into halftime because the defense kept them in it for so long and they finally got, uh, I think, a field goal for halftime. But, yeah, I think defense was the dominant unit of the day on both sides of the ball for the most part. I think when we break this down, look at some of the tape, most of the takeaways are going to be guys who we thought played well are, are on the defensive side of the ball for both teams. No, I, I think that's what we kind of expected to be more of a defensive battle. I think with Alabama, we've seen with Milrow all season. I think his progress, I wouldn't say the right words a little is overrated, but after that Texas game, you know, a lot of those defenses aren't as good as Michigan that he played. I know it's the SEC. But he really, you know, was throwing a lot of open players. The deep ball was always there with wide open weapons. And, you know, a guy we're going to talk about in a little bit like one of the plays with Milrow when he launched it deep and Rod Moore played it perfectly. Like those, those opportunities just weren't there. You know, watching the game, I think, you know, maybe he made one or two good passes. He had that one towards the sideline, um, you know, when he was on the move that he made that was good. And maybe he had one or two other good passes, but he really only beat them using his legs and on the other side right you know not much <laughs> you know they, they just don't have the offensive weapons i, I we're not really going to talk about uh terry and arnold or kool-aid mckinstry but you know they're the receiving core for michigan just isn't there to to go out and compete with those alabama defensive backs so i i would say that this game kind of went how i i, I don't know if i would say how i thought it would because I really thought Michigan was going to struggle offensively to do much. What I thought was odd was, you know, 
And when Alabama was winning, it was like the kicking game's the difference. You know, Alabama's kicker did really well. Michigan missed a field goal, botched a snap on an extra point. So then special teams, I guess, was the determining factor till towards the end. Um, but when going through it, risers and fallers, I'll start with uh, the guys I thought were risers. Uh, first, I'd say, I'd, and this is an interesting one, I put him for riser because I didn't think he was a faller. And I think that's been a a big thing that's been going on recently with JJ McCarthy is he's been a faller consistently and right. The Caleb Downs play on the, uh, uh, on the first play of the game where he just threw it right to him. Didn't even see him. It was a brain fart. That was not a, a, a good play at all. So yeah, that one wasn't a good pass. Was he great overall? No, but as he, and we've talked about it recently, I think he's perfect for whoever wins the NFC South or a team like that, that you're picking from 20 to 32 manages this game well enough you know he's he's athletic he made some good plays where they tried that trick play where they threw it back to him and he ends up you know catching it with one hand and he got he has the defender dallas turner's face he's able to complete it he's athletic he runs an offense well i just think yeah like he didn't lose them the game and i think that's what he's going to be in, in the nfl i think maybe we hoped him that he'd be this top 10 to 15 pick because the tools are there, but he just hasn't developed into that guy. So I guess when I put him there, it was more, he didn't, he didn't completely collapse against Alabama. He made enough throws when they needed him to, it was a lot of easy things, but Michigan's offense, it's not like he's dealing and and working with Romo Dunze and and AD Mitchell and those kind of guys. It's Roman Wilson and that's it. So I, I think he's proven that, he can be a game manager or quarterback who you put him on a team that's pretty solid. He he can run your offense well. And that's pretty much for the most part what he showed a, against an Alabama team that's pretty good. And I think outside of Ewer's performance in week two may have had you know, one of the one of the better games uh, against a, a, an elite defense. He's my first. And then Josiah Stewart and Braden McGregor, the two pass rushers for Michigan, I thought had their best games uh, of their Maybe careers, but definitely of the season. They were constantly in the backfield. Last play of the game, Josiah Stewart blew up. J.C. Latham was a projected top 10 pick. Really impacted a lot of that play. It was, was a big reason they won. And they were, I mean, the, the, the sack numbers were off the charts. I know Milrose, uh, you know, pocket awareness isn't always great. But I thought the two of them really, really, you know, showed out and got after him and then made some key stops and some key sacks. So, uh, I would say those were my three. McCarthy, more of a not a faller, so he's a riser. As when you're, when we're talking about quarterbacks, because right, we're gonna, we'll talk about uh, a couple of the other guys. But I thought in that game he did his job. What Michigan needed, you know, when they needed to drive down the field and score, he he beat them with his legs. He made some nice throws, and uh, I thought he worked well. And then you know, Brandon McGregor and Josiah Stewart, two names we haven't really talked about and didn't necessarily take the next step, especially McGregor, that I, I, we thought that they would. And uh, both of them had really, really good games, and they're going to be needed against a Washington offensive line that's pretty ph- phenomenal, especially with their tackles next week. So uh, those were my risers. Who were yours? Yeah, sticking with Michigan to start off, I had Rob Moore the safety. I know he missed some time this year with an injury, so it was kind of an up-and-down year for him. I uh, didn't really look like himself when he first came back. It took a little while to get into the swing of things, but he did have at least one really good play on the ball in this game. And I think a huge a huge difference maker in this matchup was, of course, you mentioned the defensive front, all the pass rush uh, pressure they got 
in this game. I think also the secondary, not having those deep shots. The receivers for Alabama really didn't do much. They weren't creating downfield. And usually you can count on at least one big play downfield from Alabama game. They didn't have that this time around. Their longest pass, I think, was only 29 yards. So they didn't have that downfield explosiveness. And a lot of that, I think, it should be credited to a very talented Michigan defense that has uh, uh, guys like Rob Morris can be drafted. You can have Mikey Sandra still, who, of course, was the MVP of the Big Ten Championship game. You've got Will Johnson is going to be a top pick next year. You've got quite a few players in that secondary who are very talented. Uh, even the other outside corner stepped up and had a really good game. So they've got a lot of players in this group who are very experienced. Josh Wallace, the other corner, by the way, uh, very experienced. They all play very well. But I thought Rob Moore, a couple of his plays in particular, stood out to me. So he was one of my risers. Uh, Blake Quorum on the offense. I know it's it's kind of Kind of hard to say Blake Corm because it feels like the book has been written on him for a little while. We've known the talent he has and that he's more of a third-round kind of player because there are some physical limitations there with his size and what he can do. But that being said, just seeing him have some big plays against an Alabama defense that has a really talented defensive front, has, I'll say, young linebackers, young but talented linebackers. Seeing him have that kind of success does speak to Michigan's offensive line, certainly, but it wasn't like he was running through some of the lanes he got in previous games where he's just like, you could drive a bus through that. He doesn't have, he didn't have those opportunities as much in this game. And I thought he was a huge engine for the offense because frankly, when they, when they weren't running it outside of late in the game, they had trouble pushing the ball downfield at different times. And Corbin was more of the, uh, one of the more consistent players from the offense in this game and doing it against a team like Alabama to me was a huge plus for him. And here comes a, a tough name to pronounce on the Alabama side of things in their defense. Justin, Eboybe is how it says online you're supposed to pronounce the last name. So I'm going to go with that. <laughs> uh, but now he's a name that I look, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a ton of him this year. I know there's some players along the defensive front I've watched, but I haven't really focused in on him. Uh, he had a couple of disrupted plays this game, a couple of pressures, some nice tackles as well. Uh, for a defensive front that really, I would say, struggled is probably the way to put it against Michigan's offensive line. They didn't completely crumble, certainly, but they weren't nearly as good as they've been in the past. You can talk about guys like maybe like a Dallas turn, not having that kind of game or Chris Brass will not really have the kind of performances they needed to in this game. But I think, uh, Evoidby had a pretty good matchup. And again, we're not talking about a guy who's going to be top 100 pick. We're talking about a day three player, but for a day three player, what he did the last night against a championship caliber Michigan team with a really talented offensive line. To me, that was a, a good performance. With Cora, right? He, he, it's tough, and it goes back to the McCarthy thing. We kind of are starting to see what they are, and Corum, it's been over the course of the season that he's he's not going to be a second-round pick. He's going to be a third, and that that's just what he is, but he's just really consistent. He's a great red zone goal line back. Uh, he, he, when they needed yards, he always seems to, to get it, so you know, he he's a, a productive player, and right along the Alabama defensive line, to, to be Someone who wasn't really heralded. I'm not even going to try the last name, but Justin. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that he was the most impressive defensive lineman uh, that they had. Right? Talking about, we didn't put Dallas Turner or Chris Braswell anywhere. I think it's, there wasn't a ton of you know, true pass rush opportunity there. You know, Michigan tried to limit that because we saw you know, what Penn State did to their uh, offensive line when, when they played. So I think they, they've learned from that. But uh, I, yeah, I, I thought of the defensive lineman, Justin w- was easily the best. And then Ron Moore had some key plays. So I think those were you know some good risers there. Yeah, and with Quorum, I think the one part of this game that I, I always 
you know, I've been a big fan of his for a while, going back to last year. But the one part of the game that I kind of talk down at times and I re- always forget just how good he can be at times is the burst. Because he doesn't have elite burst, but you look at the play towards the end of the game, the touchdown, some plays throughout the course of the game where he does have enough juice to really get to the back end of that second level and kind of get by the linebackers. You see it sometimes that he has a nice footwork band line of scrimmage. He's got that nice burst to then uh, punch through and get past the second level. It's just, if he was just six, one and not five, eight or five, seven, it would be talking completely different. But unfortunately that size, you are kind of physically limited as far as how much you can, how far you can go in the NFL a lot of times and how you'll be viewed as a prospect. In terms of fallers in this game, I didn't think there was anyone that was like, wow, like he really, really, you know, played poorly. That's going to truly impact their stock in a really negative way, in my opinion. I, you know, when I write the Alabama offensive line, I guess I'll include Milrow in that. And then I think he continues to show right now he's not an NFL prospect at all as a quarterback. Yeah, he's an NFL prospect in some way, shape, or form. Someone's going to figure out how to utilize what he can do on the ground. But he really struggles as a passer. I thought the Alabama offensive line, people are going to harp on that last play with Latham. It was one you know, one snap in, in, in his college career. It's it, That's not going to really ever happen in the NFL. Sometimes things just happen. Uh, right When you know there was a play, or they bring Sanders still on the blitz, then Derek Moore, and he's got a basically try and block two guys and it doesn't work out. But I just didn't think he really dominated um, as a pass protector, but he, he had some run, run blocks that were, that were pretty impressive. The center struggled. I just thought as an, as an offensive line, uh, they, they struggled with a Michigan group that wasn't, that didn't have Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo that didn't have these elite pass rushers. I thought they did a pretty mediocre job. And then, you can also, you know, I, I don't know how well, you know, Michigan's offensive line, you put one of them as a faller. I, I didn't really think that they did anything special, but I thought Alabama forced their offensive line to do a little bit more and they struggled in, in, in that capacity. And I thought Milro uh, really showed that, yeah, he, even for next year, he's going to have to take a leap and then probably a leap after that the next year to be viewed as a NFL quarterback. And then I put Donovan Edwards, who I think, right, you talk about, yeah, Blake Corum's not 6'1". Well, Donovan Edwards has all the size, speed, the measurables that you look for. He's been non-existent this season. I, there, I mean, anytime he's been in the game, he's really done nothing. And he's super high recruit. We both thought he had a chance to be one of the top running backs in, in this draft. That you know, if he wasn't the top because of Travion Henderson or one of these other guys, he was going to be two or three. I remember Dean Brugler had him as his only running back in his top fifty to start the year, and I think he played eighteen snaps yesterday. And you know they've got number twenty, who's the younger player playing over him. He dropped the pass. Um, Edwards, it was a little bit of a tougher play to make, but I just. He's been awful on the ground this year. I don't see any way he can declare for the draft. I wonder if he ends up transferring. It just it hasn't worked out well at all for him. So I guess he'd be the only one I thought was a real faller where maybe given the opportunity, he would show something. And yeah, we talked about going into your quorum and Edwards, the running back duo that's the best in the country. And it's just been quorum. And I don't think he's really risen at all. And I think Edwards has tanked his stock to where you're just drafting him based off of sophomore film if he comes out because everything this year showed barely draftable, if that. Yeah, unfortunate for him. Georgia already has gotten and went out and got an ETN from Florida, so they don't need a Don Evers to transfer there. But I know I agree with you. I think I, I don't know 
if you can stay at Michigan, frankly, if you feel like you're going to get jumped in the order again at the running back room. So I mean, let me, again, this is box score scouting, so I don't, you can't read too much into this. You obviously have to watch the tape, but the numbers kind of match the tape this year. Uh, so last year, 2022, 140 carries, 991 yards, seven touchdowns. That's 7.1 yards per carry. This year, 113 carries, 393 yards for your touchdowns. That's 3.5 yards per carry. I mean, this is worse than his freshman season. Like in his freshman season, you see the, the upside. And, and this year, you're kind of wondering, but this guy's hurting us every time he's on the field touching the ball. Like it just doesn't make sense. So, I, yeah, it'll be a small storyline to watch in the offseason in the grand scheme of things for scouting wise. But I think, yeah, he's got to go back to school. There's, there's no way he can go to the draft and feel comfortable right now. No, yeah, he's the one that really stood out to me. It's just he was such a big name coming into there. You know what what's happened there. So you hope whether it be a Michigan or another place, you know, because it worked last year with him and Corbin. It's not like you know they brought someone in, or you know, we would have thought the opposite probably would have happened, where Edwards established himself as the guy, and it's like, why did Corum go back to school? But that just hasn't happened. They're lucky Corum came back. I think that's the reason that I think that they're here is that they can rely on him when needed because, you know, Edwards just hasn't been able to do it. Uh, in terms of followers for you, you put down three names. Um, you know, take me through your followers. Yeah, Ladarius Henderson is the tackle for uh, Michigan playing on the left side. Obviously, he, we know he's a, a guard. He played left tackle at Arizona State. I think his freshman year was not good there. Kicking inside a guard. I mean, I liked him as a guard prospect, but uh, he's been awful at left tackle for Michigan this year. I mean, the, the right tackle for Michigan, who's, who's a backup and making a second start of the year, uh, Trente Jones, clearly outplayed him in this game, in my opinion. Like, it wasn't even close. Uh, Henderson just doesn't have the feet and doesn't have the lower body flexibility to play tackle. And I think that just becomes more clear every time I watch him. I think teams seeing some of the bad tackle tape and not, again, being one more year removed, one more game removed from him playing guard, it's just going to reflect very poorly on his prospect profile come time for evaluation. Uh, I think in all, if he goes to the draft, like an all-star game will be huge for him just to get back to playing guard again and not playing tackle anymore just to get some new tape out there. Uh, Jermaine Burton for Alabama, basically the only receiver on Alabama. I know they have a bond, but Burton's the one guy I feel like you can count on at times for the big plays downfield to kind of take over games. Uh, he's the dude who I think will be more consistent or have the most opportunities to hit the 100-yard game, have the big plays. And he had four catches for 21 yards. I know he cramped up at some point in this game, but got back out there. Just you need more from him. He needs to be a focal point. And frankly, this year, he should have been the guy. Last year, he should have been a guy. And it wasn't for them uh, with Bryce Young. This year, he had some better games, but I just think you needed more out of him. And he has potential to be. I, I was never on the train with last year. Some guys talked about him being like a potential first round guy, like late first round guy. I never saw that, but I thought he could be a fourth round player. I, I don't think he's lived up to that this year. I think he's more of a mid day three kind of guy at this point. Uh, but yeah, I was hoping for more from Burton against a really good Michigan secondary. Probably that's only quarterback, of course, but I still would like to see more from him. And then I put Malachi Moore as well. Who had a couple misplays in coverage. Uh, obviously he had the incredible freshman year or earlier in his career. Where people thought about him, but being a first round pick, he kind of fell off. Got a bit of a rebound last year and, and this year to some extent. Uh, but just clearly not on the same level as those other guys in that uh, Alabama secondary. <laughs> They're playing with a lot of guys who are going to be top uh, 32 players over the course of their careers, and he's just not not anywhere near that group. 
You know, going into his freshman, uh, go, after his freshman year, I thought Malachi Corley had a chance to be a yeah, top two round pick, and he's just really struggled for the last few seasons. He had a back problem that impacted him, but yeah, just someone who, you know, who he, Brian Branch, they were going to be top two round guys. He was better than Branch after his freshman year, just hasn't worked out. Yeah, and again, like you said, they got all that other talent, the two corners, obviously the freshman safety. They've got all these guys who are going to be first round picks and he's just not like, he's clearly the guy you pick on in that scenario when he's on the field getting covered, covering one of your better players You go after him. And uh, he's obviously still an NFL prospect. I don't want to say he's not a prospect. He's a, he's a draftable player, but just not the guy you were hoping he would be. No, because I thought, you know, top 20 pick, like that's how good he was as a freshman and the back. And then I don't you know, position change, everything, you know, can impact things. So he, he struggled, right? Yeah. Darius Henderson, to a lesser extent, because I'm much higher on Isaiah Adams, but it's the same thing where it's like you're playing the wrong position, so it's not helping you at all. Adams was more forced to do it because of injury with Henderson. It's weird because he was a good guard prospect, transfers to a team that already has their guards in place. It would have been interesting if they put him in uh, where Zinter played. That would have been fun to have seen him, you know, get some guard snaps there. But you know, their tackle position is so weak. I guess that Harbaugh and them thought, hey, he could at least be serviceable at left tackle because we really have no one. But they have so many guys in their tackle room who are just guys. Right. So you play Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell and you notice right, there was there was a noticeable strain there when uh, forced to really do anything, which is why, you know, McCarthy and company kept things pretty quick and, you know, easy passes, not very much long developing plays. But yeah, Henderson, you know, the East West ride. Um, like those, like that's going to be um, really important for him. And, and, and then with Burton, yeah, no, we, I mean we've talked about it. You've seen some second round buzz with him ahead of some receivers we really like. We'll be lower on uh, on him, but yeah, just didn't you know going up against a player like Will Johnson and you know, Mike Sanderson and that secondary with Mo- Rod Moore as well. It's tough, and you know I, he's going to be held back obviously by quarterback play, but uh, yeah, definitely didn't impress in that one. So yeah. Michigan, Alabama, two, a battle of two teams that you know, did play similar style football. I'm glad that they put Alabama in instead of Florida State because it gave us a game that went down down to the wire there uh, in California. So, yeah, I, I was really happy with, with how it ended up playing out in the end. You know, the, at the end of the game, you know, came down to the last play and everything, and it was fun all the way around. And you saw two teams that, right, you know, that – should have been playing in this game, and I knew that I was glad that you know the committee ended up choosing it, even though maybe the resume for Florida should have got them in. So we'll see. We're not going to talk about that anymore. Uh, next game: Washington, Texas. Two polar opposite teams played at the Sugar Bowl in Louisiana, and we'll start with you for risers. I think there was one obvious one. Um, I let you take him. I let you take him, right? Um, but. Uh, Yes. Uh, who are your risers from? Uh, well, a ga- I mean, this was a game that was like Washington all the way. And then they had three chances from the 12 yard line, Texas, and just completely collapsed at the end. But three chances to win yeah. the game. Let, let me say that that one swing past the running back, like when oh was their God. second play. I don't know what you're doing with that. I don't know what read. When yours has, he comes off that so quickly that he goes down to the running back. I don't know what you're reading there, 
But you should, if you're going to throw to the running back, just chuck it like into the sideline. Throw it out of bounds as quickly as possible. Don't don't even throw that ball to the running back. It's so Jabbar Muhammad. That was the previous play where he kind of threw the ball up to Ad Mitchell and Jabbar Muhammad, and yeah. And so Muhammad gets hurt. So you have some time, and you're, and then they, you're like, all right, you got three plays. And Sark, for those who don't know, we talked about it when we talked about Texas Oklahoma. Like he is not a good red zone play caller. He just collapses in the red zone. Like he that Texas team really struggles to score when they get there. But like. You had you had more time to come up with a play, and they come out of it. it's like, all right, what do you do? And it's like you go back to Ad Mitchell, you go back to Worthy, Whittington already made a great contested catch. You have Jatavian Sanders, and did they just not like the look at all? And it's like if you don't like it, immediately go to the running back and the running, and he just pan. I don't know what happened there, but that just killed the rest of the drive, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you lost all momentum, and frankly, they were doing well when they had no time. They had to scramble, drill it. But as soon as you had time, like sit down and think about what you're doing, everything went to hell. Like, it just was awful collapse. Was that the same drive where they had the when Ewers throws the ball before Worthy breaks, he doesn't even like get his head around to look at the ball? Was it the same drive? No, I think in that the end was zone. The, or no, that, that was, was the, previous. the previous drive yeah. where they kicked the that. Field. That was something I want to point out too. By the way, the entire game, Texas's receivers were not getting their heads around. Like Ewers was throwing the ball. And they weren't finding the football. They just weren't turning around to look for it half the time, I feel like. So it was such a weird... And Texas has always done this. It was like this last year. Texas had so many miscommunications between viewers and the receivers. I don't know what it is, but we saw some of that in this game, too. And on that final play to A.D. Mitchell, they had a chance. They had a real chance. He was open. Like, you throw that ball low and more towards the front pylon. Like, not obviously at the front pylon, but throw it closer to the front of the end zone as opposed to like where the middle of the end zone where he put it. Put that ball low and outside towards the front and make the DB like play through Mitchell to get the football. You're either going to get a penalty or you can get a clean shot of him catching that football without having to try to drag his toes along the sideline like he did. Just, ah, man, that ball placement is going to like irk me for the rest of the year. (laughs) And the year just started. (laughs) It's, here's the first thing that made me mad was, all right, so you score the touchdown. They ran in, I think it was, was it Jaden Blue or was it someone else who, no, no it was the uh, the jump ball to A.D. Mitchell, right? Right. And that yep. made them down by six. I got it right here. So they well, went, they went down no, no, by they uh, were seven. 30, it was, they were down by seven. When no, it was, it was th- 34-28 when they got the pass to Mitchell, I believe. So it's 34-27. So here was my thought process yeah. was go for two. Right, right. Because there's no way you're stopping Penix, but maybe you can stop him from scoring a touchdown, right? And get a field goal. And they did. And so now they're down by nine. And Grant's, you know, they, who knows, right? The, the game ended up with, with Dylan Johnson getting hurt, saving them 40 seconds or 30 seconds and then running into Whittington from the what was the, the long snapper or was it the was like some, the long snapper <laughs> something ran into uh, Whittington which was so unnecessary and then they complete some crazy fights so it didn't end up impacting the game at all but my thought process was like what are you doing not going for two because if you make it a five point game you can then make it a, a situation where you can go and score so that was the first thing then you know I timeouts i i thought sark should have kept that timeout but then i the 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 one he used on the possession where they kicked the field goal um i also thought that sark 
or no, I thought that uh, Grubbs, uh, Ryan Grubbs, should have not thrown the ball on that third down from like the 11. I know being aggressive. Oh, yeah. I was like, they got to score two touchdowns anyways. Don't do this. And so uh, I thought they should have just ran it, killed more clock, forced Texas to take another timeout. So poor miss, you know, poor clock management. And I don't think anything falls on Kalen DeVore. They're like, you know, Dylan Johnson getting hurt. How is he supposed to know that? You're, you're, why are you, you never run into the, you know, he, it was awful. He called for a fair catch, unnecessary, right? Quinn Ewers throwing that deep ball to, to Whittington and him coming down with that. That was crazy. So, like, I don't really blame DeBoer there. He ended up, you know, surviving. But I thought, like, there was a couple of things in there that, like, oh man, if Texas just did this. And I, I know I asked you, well, who are your risers? And all we've done is just talk about what happened. In the game. Yeah. We haven't got, well, it's that's crazy how, sometimes how, Really good coaches and really good players can just make such bonehead decisions when, oh like, the spotlight's God. on you. Even in the Michigan-Alabama game, was it Roman Wilson gets called for a block in the back on Michigan's longest like, run of the game or whatever it was? Like, awful, what are you unnecessary. doing? <laughs> unnecessary. Like, you're right. He just put... I th- I wonder if it was frustration because Terry and Arlo, you know, had really had his way with him all game. He's like, I'm just going to... I mean, you're, here, you're, you're watching, like, ooh, are they going to call that? And you just see... Four flags just come into this yeah, green. Every single like, referee on the field took out a flag in that moment. I was like, oh, <laughs> no, he unnecessary, right? But like, just yeah, I thought Texas, right? They deserved to lose that game. I, I thought that they played really poorly. Their pass rushers couldn't get after them. Um, you know, we're not going to talk about them, but um, you know, their their edge rushers. I thought, um, yeah, did Penix, you know, clean? Yeah, it was clean for a lot of the game. Um. In, in terms of not having to deal with pressure from the outside at all. And then, yeah, I, I just, yeah, there was a couple of plays in there. Texas really started out slow, and their run game was awesome, but, you know, they fumbled it twice in the second half, which, like, you can't do, right? Like, Jaden Blue, I think he's going to be an unbelievable player for next year who we're going to talk about. He was awesome. Someone, like, we hadn't heard of you know, Jonathan Brooks, top running back, you know, our top two, three running back in this year's draft, tears ACL. But you could argue that Jaden Blue kid and CJ Baxter are better than him, right? Or playing just as well. And, you know, Baxter fumbles on the first snap of the second half for Texas. And then Jaden Blue, you know, unbelievable. And then he, you know, runs into Gunnar Helms and he fumbles. And so you had those two plays were killer. Uh, I, I thought that they got after Ewers decently well. So just like I, they were the better team. But boy, did Texas have opportunities, right? And you go back to that A.D. Mitchell play, like in the moment, like you're like, eh, I gave him a shot, you know? And then after you watched it two or three times, you're like, wait, wait, wait. There yeah. was really a shot there. Yeah. Like, this wasn't there was just really- throwing up. <laughs> you know, it's it just this, yeah, awful. I mean, Stark in the red zone struggled all year and ended up losing them the game because they had, they had some, they had four opportunities. And I know the third one only, you know, the third one where you were just kind of ran outside the pocket and threw out of bounds. So just say you like basically had three real opportunities and they're just none of it worked that well. So back to my question, who are the risers? Because this was, oh my <laughs> yeah, God, what 20 a minutes later. To, yeah, what a finish to this game that was just like all Washington all the way through. Yeah, it was an awesome game. I think, uh, obviously, Michael Penix Jr. is a riser coming out of this one. Like you mentioned, he didn't have to deal with a ton of pressure this game. But you saw, working with the clean pocket, just how accurate and lethal he could be. He was cutting them up for the entire game. Uh, spoiler alert, Texas's secondary is on my 
<laughs> on the guys who ended up all be followers for me because they just could not stop anything. Uh, yeah, he was Penix was on our level tonight. I think he was obviously the best quarterback in the playoffs so far. He played fantastic. He avoided having that one catastrophic decision that usually haunts him. He avoided that play in this game. I think he even saw more of his pocket management than what you're used to seeing because in the instances where the pocket was broken, uh, he was able to avoid the rush, not get sacked. He was able to kind of sidestep, keep the play alive, and get the ball downfield. And it's not like all these catches were guys just wide open. I mean, some of these are contested catch opportunities or plays where the ball is just dropped in right over Romo Dunze's shoulder. There's absolutely nothing the cornerback can do because he's right there and he just can't possibly reach the football and only Romo Dunze can get it. So I think that really stood out to me. And he was so good in this game, much better than any of the other quarterbacks we saw uh, so far. I also want to highlight Jalen Polk. I know Romo Dunze had just as good of a game, but I felt like Polk was the guy who kind of was dropping off, I want to say, in the second half of the year. Oh, Dunze stayed strong. Uh, I know it was Greg Mac- uh, Miguel was trying to say, oh, he's the best receiver in college. Well, I kept saying that a couple of times. And I'm like, that's like Mike Neighbors just broke LSU's single season, like our <laughs> career receiving yards record. I'm not like early in the day. I don't know what you're doing here. Like it clearly wasn't Odunze this year, if you don't make the argument. But whatever. Uh, Polk was kind of the guy who fell off a little bit later in the season. If like people start paying a little bit less attention to him, he did have some drop issues at points, but he came out immediately, had a big play in this game, and he stayed strong throughout the entire game. So I felt like he had to be a riser just because he kind of thrust himself back into that legit first-round conversation with this performance today. And Byron Murphy uh, from Texas, well, he, I mean, we've talked about him potentially being a first-round pick. At the very least, he's going to be probably a top-40 pick, I think, uh, at this point. Uh, he was basically the only guy who could provide any kind of consistent pass rush for Texas in this game, which is a lot as an interior defensive player. There's, of course, the one rep where he beats both the center and the left guard, I want to say. That's been uh, going around on Twitter quite a lot today. Uh, but yeah, he was, in my opinion, probably by far the best Texas defensive player on the field for them. And so he's someone I wanted to highlight as well. You know, on that rep where uh, Murphy beat both the yeah, the center and the guard, uh, I was like, all right. On that rep, I was like, I'm going to focus on Murphy. I was like, holy cow, what a rush. And then you just see Penix avoid it and make that unbelievable uh, pass over the middle to Romo Dunze. Yeah, with Penix, it's... I don't know how this is going to impact things, right? Because we saw with Stroud last year, but that was against a Georgia defense. It was pretty unbelievable. Like this Texas defense is not good at all, but man, was he so accurate all night long. That pass for to Adunze for the touchdown where he, I mean, that was on a rope. That was unbelievable. (laughs) I didn't realize he had that in him. Um, You know, the accuracy downfield, I think people have overrated it, um, but it was uh, great in this game. I thought he he ran well, right? Like we've never seen this from him. I still right, like we talk about the incredible story, the four straight season ending injuries. Like that's gotta be a factor. I'm not a huge fan of like, oh, age impacting things, right? Because you know, we've Sam Darnold has always been talked about. Well, Sam Darnold's still 21. Well, he still can't play. Like that, that doesn't impact <laughs> things, right? At quarterback, because they last so long. We're not talking about a 25 year old pass rusher here. This is a 20, you know, 24, 25 year old quarterback, you know, him, Hendon Hooker, Bo Nix, all these guys who are a little bit older. I don't really care about that part. If he didn't have these injury, this injury history, right? It's like you have the age factor with the injury history. Like at some point, do those injuries catch up? I know he's been healthy the last two years, but he's been doing playing in college. 
So like, you know, at what point, you know, does his body start to break down and is it earlier? But I don't see how he gets out of the second round after this performance. I know the Michigan one can change everything, but he keeps this up against Michigan. We're going to talk about the quarterback class in a bit, so I don't want to harp on it too much. But man, was that awesome. He did really well. I think we know Texas's defense isn't good. But he was truly, uh, truly unbelievable in the best, you know, quarterback performance outside of you know Stroud's playoff game last year, um, you know, in, in recent memory. So I, I thought that he he was phenomenal, right? Byron Murphy, you know, we're, we'll talk about him in a bit as well. But yeah, he continues to impress. And he brings up more questions. Um, neither one of us put him for fallers, but like you know, Tavondre Sweat when we talk about him, right? And like Jordan Davis, and I think they're not the same prospects. I honestly think sweat's got more upside but just like how much value do they bring that you would take like how high do you take someone like that because you know just yeah. you know where's the value has has the nfl learned from watching jordan davis the past couple of years that you don't take this player in the first round is my question when father sweat inevitably gets picked 29th overall or wherever he ends up going i'm gonna be saying the same thing you don't take this player in the first round it doesn't make sense no, it's why you know teams have stopped taking running backs in the first round and just not saying, but like there's certain types of players that have started to not go as high and sweat should be you know, with, with Jordan Davis because I, I looked up Jordan Davis just to see his measurables and I forgot at 340 pounds he ran a 478, which is honestly the craziest thing of all time, but it doesn't really seem to impact things much, right? He's not this dominant force who would go in the first round in a redraft. So, you know, if it's not working with Jordan Davis, you know, Sweat took him five years, right? This isn't fallers for him because I thought he played well, especially as a run defender, but just like the impact you can have, it's just not there. Yeah, and speaking of big men struggling who are taking the first round, Mozzie Smith for Dallas, anybody? Has anybody (laughs) seen Mozzie Smith this year? I think I had him in my 50s on my final big board last year. I was like, I don't, People are like, oh, he's such an elite run defender. I'm like, he's, he can't defend the run that well. And now he's gone <laughs> to Dallas and he's struggling. And obviously, Devontae Sweat and Jordan Davis, those kind of players are a class above someone like him. But even so, like this, these players, the run stuffers should not be taken that high. They just don't have that kind of value. And frankly, there's no guarantee they're going to work. So I, I don't think like Sweat's a good player. And I think Sweat's burst is really rare. Like that five to 10 yard burst you can have sometimes, that is unique for a player that size. But I, I'm still not taking him in the top 40 picks if I can avoid it for the most part. Like I just don't think it makes a ton of sense. No, and there's some other concerns. Like, why did it take someone who's that talented this long to be anything more than just a guy? Right? Like, like, yeah. like he was, you know, they three rotational guy for for forever. I mean, even if he he wasn't even a prospect earlier on in his career to to develop into what he is now. Like, why did it take so long? But uh, yeah, and then Polk as well. Um, you know, I, I thought he did really well. I still have concern, like that's a lot of even the the pass where uh he scored the touchdown where it hit off his hands and then he re he readjusted and caught it. Good concentration there. But you know, watching the last few games, I know some of them were raining, but he had some drop problems, like some like easy catches that he was just dropping. Um, so I guess that was like a new concern that I didn't really have for him. Yeah, um, I think it's a little bit in his head because I, I saw it in the I, second I think half so of the year. And like early, early on in the season, he was making these incredible catches and all that kind of stuff. He's got really good length and a really good catch radius. So I think a lot of it is just mental. I don't think it's really 
And, and we've seen guys get over like Dontavian Wicks having a solid year for where he was drafted for the Green Bay Packers and he didn't drop problems, like awful drop problems in his final <laughs> no, year in college. Yeah. And and he's, he's doing just fine where he is right now in the NFL. So I think you can overcome this. I think Paul just kind of got in his own head in the second half of the year. Yeah, because there's some guys where it's like his hands are bad. That's not the case with Polk, but like I'm just watching him. It's like they're not, it's not even like somewhat contested catches, just like panic throwing. He's wide open. He's just dropping it toward like the Oregon State game. And he probably had four or five plays. Like, oh my God. Like, well, what's going yeah. on here? And so uh, hopefully, you know, uh, that's it's not an issue in the NFL, right? You bring up Wicks. Uh, he couldn't catch a cold, right? Like he really struggled his last season with that, but it wasn't an issue as much the year before, like uh, even close to an issue as it was the senior year. And he hasn't struggled with that in the NFL. So um, yeah, just a, just a thought there, but Polk is reestablishing himself as at worst, a second round pick. Yeah. And then an interesting one, um, not a, necessarily a riser um, for either one of us, but Romo Dunze, Dan Jeremiah said he's the same grade on him as Marvin Harrison Jr. I thought that was a interesting thing. I don't see that at all. You know, just my opinion. Um, to me, he's uh, at best the third receiver. Uh, I, I think Neighbors and Harrison Jr. Are, are one and two for me. But he's pretty well connected within the league, uh, Jeremiah. And I don't think he would have a take like that without at least consulting with some people, right? We we see this every year with him. He has some unique takes that end up being more the consensus by the end. But uh, right, like uh, the first one I remember, like Slater ahead of Suwell, like oh wow, like no one else really has that. But I just really can't see it with Harrison Jr. being on this. I, I think it's just a much better prospect than I'm doing so. Yeah, I think, but though we have Lynn Odunze is probably going to be like going into the process we talked about, he doesn't create a ton of separation. There could be concerns there. Now I'm thinking Odunze probably doesn't go later than pick 12, whoever that ends up being. Like he's probably not yeah. getting past that range. Wherever no. Jamison Williams, like, where is it? Like the Jamison Williams range was like pick 11, yeah. pick 12, like somewhere in that range. He's not going later than that at this point. No, with a, like a Lava and Jamison Williams going where they did. I think once the. We saw it last year, like one Smith and Jigba went, the next three picks were wide receivers, right? Like the, this is kind of what's going to happen, I think, once. Because Harrison Jr. will probably be picked three or four. And then, I mean, maybe Odunze does jump neighbors. I just, you know, I, I'm just, I maybe I'm just really high on neighbors. But like, I think neighbors is the second one. And he's probably picked six, so three and six. And then Odunze probably goes 10. And then that's interesting. I think that's when it starts, like, Brian Thomas and Keon Coleman, where do they come off the board? But I just thought it was interesting that he had him that high because Odunze is always really, really good. He's really consistent. I just don't think he's got that same upside or same talent that um, the top two guys have. So, but just an interesting thought there. Uh, I my three: Braylon Trice, Jabbar Muhammad, and the Washington tackles. Braylon Trice is just like he may just end up being like an unbelievable college player. Where like you see it and you're like, man, like. Every week, it's like I, I not that I move him down in my rankings or anything, you know. I, but like I don't have him anything more than a second round prospect. But it's like he's always producing. And he just is is that kind of player. So I think this helps, right? Um, you know, I, I thought he had some pretty unbelievable pass rush reps. He was constantly in the backfield. And it's just like, how well is this all going to translate? But like he gave like Jordan Morgan his toughest test, right? Like I thought, like. Christian Jones held his own better against Dallas Turner than Braylon Trice and same with Kelvin Banks, right? Like 
he's not going to get drafted higher than a, a lot of these guys. And I think some teams are going to have him as late as the third round. And I wonder if, like, it's just my man, be, way better college player than NFL prospect, but just always plays really, really well. And he was such a big reason they had success. Like, I think he was, like, the main reason Texas's offense really struggled at times. Yeah, and he had a bit of a slow start the year. That's when people really started to trail off on him, at least from the media side of things, where he had a slow start the year. And basically since like week four, week five, it's been, well, let me log in on, on Sunday morning, see what out Braylon tries to do. Oh, 14 pressures, you say. <laughs> oh, he's got well, he's got 12 pressures this game, huh? <laughs> it's just constantly rolling in. I mean, he feels like seven pressures a game is kind of like the floor for this guy. Uh, he's been a pressure machine the last two years. And he's got, he got home in this game. Like, he didn't have incredible sack numbers this year, but he got home twice in this one. Uh, I think that Trice, we might just be overthinking him a bit. Like at some point, just draft good players and just let it play out how it plays out. So I think Trice is a guy you could see targeted late first round. So I think middle of the second round, I wouldn't take him any later than that. And it's not a great edge class. I have more questions about what Dallas Turner's floor in the NFL is than Brendan Trice, to be honest. So I, I don't know. I feel like you get to a point where it's less of a risk. And I'm just saying, like, you got. If you're a team that has three picks in the top two rounds, which there are, I think, three or four teams that have that many picks, like taking a guy like Brilliant Trice with one of them would make a lot of sense because you have extra ammo to go get someone more safe later on. No, yeah, super, super high floor player. I think to come in, especially a playoff team, and contribute as, you know, a third rusher from day one. And it's, yeah, it's just guys who do this and produce every single week, they're generally being good. Um, and, you know, I've really, yeah, I think we may be overthinking it with him because he's awesome. Washington tackles Fountainot and Rosengarten. I thought really killed it. Um, Fountainot, it's weird. He's got 35 inch arms. Like he's got incredible length, but he's gonna have to kick inside. I think you know height wise probably. Um, I also think he's better at guard. I think you know on your big board when we talk about it. You know he's your top ranked guard, so um, he's got a chance. I think I don't know if I, I would you know personally would never take. You know, a player like him in the first round, not not like him specifically, but someone who I view as a guard um, who's not like elite elite. But uh, I think he's a really good prospect who finishes a top 32 guy on most boards. Rosengarten gets very little to zero buzz. Um, I don't know if he's coming out, but he, like he did get a senior bowl invite and everything. So I wonder if he's mewling over whether or not he's going to come out. I don't think he should. It's like if you don't have to come out in this year's tackle class, don't you know? Right? Yeah. Like there's seven, eight, nine guys. Like why be the tenth or eleventh when it's like eventually everyone who really wants us, uh, their guy has one. Granted, uh, I I haven't done enough work on him to know. Like if he's a starting tackle, you're just gonna go top fifty, right? Like if you put a starter grade on a tackle, like every single team needs one, you know, and and he's gonna. Uh, be, be a good prospect. So yeah, he's played uh, well most of the season. Obviously, he's been in Fontenot's shadow a little bit, but I thought he really killed it. And this one, he had some pretty impressive blocks. And then Jamar Muhammad, a little bit undersized, but he always plays well every time I watch Washington. And you know, when we talk about the Fallers, which you know, Texas wide receivers, uh, I thought that he really held his own against as good of a receiving corp as you can have in college football. So those were my three. Um, you know, I guess uh, to put, yeah, I'd obviously put Penix. I thought Byron, I think Byron Murphy's awesome, like has a real shot. I, you know, it's him and Newton to me as as the top two. And I, I think people have separated Newton and, you know, 
I don't think anyone's even had that conversation, but I think it may end up being one. So, uh, he, I think, he I think oh yeah, Byron Murphy is the better athlete than Newton, I think. And he's got, doesn't have great arm length, but maybe he might have better arm length. I, NFL teams, from what a projectable standpoint, will probably like Murphy more than Newton, if I had to guess. Yeah, no, DT1 is not out of the question for him. So, yeah, uh, that, you know, we'll see there. But yeah, Trice, Muhammad, and, uh, the Washington tackles were my risers. And then Faller, the one I put, uh, A.D. Mitchell to me, like he really struggles timing his jumps. Uh, <laughs> that play he made was unbelievable on the Quinn Ewers uh, fave, um, batter that he ran. And he just mistimed his jump completely. Showed off incredible athleticism that he has. But like, right, like you watch Odunze and it's just so much crisper and cleaner. There's this rawness to A.D. Mitchell. I don't know if it makes sense to go back, but I wouldn't mind it if him and he and Ewers came back to went back to school. You're seeing Odunze and Penix did the same thing. And I think it's, you know, done wonders for both of their stock because I didn't view Odunze. And I don't really think the NFL did as a first round prospect last year at all. And now, you know, if you told me over the summer, that Daniel Jeremiah, one of these other analysts who are really, really good at their job, would have the same grade as Odunze and Marvin Harrison Jr. I would have said, what happened to Marvin Harrison Jr.? Right? <laughs> like, to have that kind of you know thought process and him being talked about as a top 10 pick, I don't think he you know would have made it into the first round last year. Right? So, like, or else it probably comes out. I, I, I think it may make sense for him to come back because he is raw. He's in very good. He was quiet for a lot of the game. Like, had no catches through halftime. Uh, really didn't do much. It's not like Washington secondary. I know I highlighted Muhammad, who's listed at 5'10", right? Like, this is a 6'4 wide receiver. And, you know, Ewers, you know, the run game was working so well. And, you know, I I just thought, I thought he wasn't that good. I didn't, I didn't think that he, that looked like, wow, like, that's a first-round wide receiver. He may still let him go in there because of the traits, but I, in my opinion, I think he should go back to school and try and establish himself as you know wide receiver one, two, or three for next year. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of inconsistent grading on him, I have a feeling, considering what he did to last night and what he's done across the course of the year. Because even in the big games this year, he's come through for most of them with at least one big play. He didn't dominate against Alabama, but he had, I think he drew a penalty. He had one, at least one really good catch. Uh, he came through in a bunch of our games where they were in close situations, and he didn't have that impact in this game. Now, granted, if he just catches that last-second touchdown, and we might not be talking about this, we might not be having this conversation today. But you know, it's uh, it's true. He's got all the athletic talent in the world, and he has not been nearly as consistent as those top three guys we talk about all the time in Harrison, Neighbors, and Adunze. So, I think you could be looking at a situation where he should go back to school. Uh, and especially if Ewers is going back, knowing that you're having your quarterback coming back, I think you definitely want to. If you felt like Ewers was transferring or Ewers was going to the draft, then you might, I would be much more hesitant to go back to school because you really are unsure what you have behind him because you haven't seen much playing time with Manning. Uh, but if you get Ewers back, yeah, I would highly consider going back to school because again, they don't have a ton of receiving options. You're going to be the guy. I mean, they're losing Worthy. They're probably losing Sanders. Whittington's going to the draft. Like you, you'll have every opportunity to be the guy. Yeah, I agree. I I think that right. You look at it, I. I don't see him jumping Coleman or Brian Thomas for four and five. Really, 
because I just don't think he'll be viewed that way by enough teams. I guess it only really takes one for you because he could be like, I could see like, I, I've, you know, thought about it before. I, I think Thomas is like, there's enough upside there. But like, man, like, I could see a team having wide receiver four easily, right? Like, I, I think that that's, you know, what could be the case. But like, why, why flirt with being a second rounder when you could be a top 10 pick next year? And that's a lot of money to be, you know, uh, you know, not getting, right? Like, you know, that fall from 33, you know, from pick 10 to 33, you know, like that's not nothing, right? And I know you're a year earlier to getting paid, but I think his, you know, he could use another year of development in college. Um, I don't know if it happens, but uh, it's it's not a bad idea. Yeah, what you go to do, what you do is you go to Sark and you say, Sark, give me $750,000 and I'll come back to school next year for you. And uh, let me put it this way. I think Mitchell has a higher ceiling than a lot of receivers in his draft class. I think he could be, in terms of his ceiling, he could be potentially even a wide receiver three in this group. Uh, yeah. But like you said, the inconsistency is there. I'm more willing to bet on him than I think some will be. I think I'm going to be more willing to bet on him than the NFL will be, certainly. Uh, and I'm willing to acknowledge that right now. But that being said, like, if we're talking about what's best for him, get a guaranteed paycheck at Texas next year and try to do better and go to the draft because you're still going to be an athletic freak next year, this time next year. So you'll still be, at worst, play a mid-second round pick in 2025. You know, go back and try to shoot your shot for a top three wide receiver spot in 2025. Oh, definitely. Uh, who are your followers from this game? Yeah, so the other receiver, Xavier Worthy, I felt this was the worst game from him, the Navy Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Mitchell was more consistent. It wasn't targeted as, uh, as often in the first half, but I mean, with Worthy, you're the speed guy. You have to be able to win vertically. And he did have one big play for them, but you have to win more often because with Mitchell, you can at least fall back on the athletic traits and say, well, yeah, he has been inconsistent producing-wise, but he's huge, and he can jump. You saw the jump. I mean, you, you see the jump. You see the catch radius. There's a lot of traits you love there. With Worthy, you've got more concerns with the size, the wet playing weight, uh, some of the durability concerns. There's some worries there. So I feel like he needs to be almost producing at a higher level than Mitchell because the concerns are, are raised higher for him. Uh, and he, did, he was not great in this game. In the past, we've seen him be able to kind of do what he wants with the ball in his hands. He really couldn't get the ball to him for most of the game, so I feel like he was a faller. Uh, Christian Jones actually had a solid second half, but in the first half, he had a penalty. He gave up a sack. He had a couple bad plays strung together where things just looked bad, and he's had a, a rough second half of the year after a really strong start. Uh, and then I mentioned just a blanket statement. Texas is secondary in general, and granted, there were a couple times where they had really good coverage and it just didn't matter. But overall, I mean, this was the weakest defense, I think, over like weakest overall defense in the college football playoff. And it, it really kind of showed that in this game. Yeah, it wasn't even close. They were really bad. Um, they were always out of position. I thought, you know, whenever, you know, Washington did screens, the whole defense seemed to be you know, all over the place. I thought that Washington, for the most part, handled Texas's screen passes pretty well. That was a huge part of their game against uh, Oklahoma State. So, uh, yeah, I thought they were, I don't know if the right word is outcoached. I just think that they were a top four team, but they ran into Michael Penix and Romo Dunze, and that receiving core is just too tough to stop. Like, anytime it was third and four, 
Like you were just never worried that uh, Washington wasn't going to convert it. Like someone was getting open. Like Penix was going to have enough time and he delivered, right? And he did make some unbelievable throws early on. But yeah, uh, we'll talk about the quarterbacks in a, uh, in a little bit. But I think Quinn Ewers, I, I think definitively is going back. I think the only thought was probably like if he won the national championship, maybe you come out. Do you put like, I don't, we didn't put him in rise or fall or did he, did he impress? Like, just what are your takeaways for, from his game? Because this is going to be probably the last time we talk about him for a little bit. Yeah, I think um, we saw some of the stuff we saw even last year where there were the miscommunications with the receivers. I mentioned that a little bit earlier in the podcast. I did feel like there were times where he was throwing, the receivers were running different routes where they didn't get their heads around. And there were a couple deep throws. I know he missed, missed one opportunity where they didn't have a deep throw open that he just overthrew. Overthrows and then I threw a deep ball placement had been a concern with him. And there were a bunch of deep throws that felt like they kind of went nowhere in the first half. It's not that they were inaccurate necessarily, but there just was not a reason to throw them to some extent. And these were not guys who were not getting open. It's not all his fault, certainly, but I do feel like some of that deep ball inaccuracy is still baked into his profile. And that worries me a little bit. So I, again, not, not a horrible game. The second half to really lighten the game was great for him. But for 70% of the game, I thought it was a, a shaky performance for the most part. I think you're right. I think the nerves got to him a little bit in the beginning, you know, because it wasn't a great performance early on. But I thought, yeah, he really, and when he's when he's on and in rhythm, like 10 to 15 yards downfield, he can pick you apart. He needs to get go back and get, I think, stronger, just bigger in general. I think, you know, just another year in college, I, I think, could work wonders for him because, like, I, you know, I just, yeah, I don't know if he's necessarily ready for the NFL, but man, if you put together like his best throws, like they're not like he doesn't throw 60 yard bombs like Michael Penn. You know, he's not throwing 40 yard passes to Jalen Polk or Romo Dunes, but like 10 to 15, 20 yard, he can throw them the best of them. I think he's got to work on his understanding of when to throw with velocity versus touch because we usually it's the opposite. Like this guy only throws fastball, like, he only throws changeups, and right, like you can fit him in. But there are times where you got like like Penix to Odunze where he just roped it in there. Like there are times you have to do that and he never throws the velocity. And I think I heard him on that last play of the game where like he just you know threw it up, right? Rather than towards that front pylon with some velocity on it. And right, like that can be the difference. So uh, I think it makes sense for him to go back, you know, get bigger, stronger, process better because the tools are all there for him to be a first round pick. I don't know that he wouldn't be if he just came out because we see like, you know, NFL teams are going to value what he brings to the table, but I think they will more next year. All right. If you think, let's just last one because with, with McCarthy and Ewers, do you think both of them go back to school? Who do you think is a higher draft pick next year? Oh, probably Ewers, I would say. Uh, I kind of liked McCarthy more in the summer uh, when we are doing the the summer evals, I think that yours has improved a bit. And I do feel like he'll carry some boomer bust tendencies into the NFL in terms of like, not, not as a prospect, but as a play by play kind of guy, there'll be some crazy turnovers. I'm sure that will come with him, but I do think he'll give you more explosives and more opportunity to go out and win football games. And let's throw Carson Beck and Shador Sanders in the conversation. If you're if Las Vegas comes to you, Sam, and they say, all right, yo, Beck goes back, Shador goes back, Ewers goes back. We think all three are pretty much, uh, I mean, like Beck, 
already said he was. I'm pretty sure Shadur's did and basically Ewers did. And McCarthy, you know, struggles against Washington. He goes back or, you know, plays fine or plays like a McCarthy game the last five weeks. Who is your, uh, like, who's your betting favorite and put those four in order for next year? Kind of like, who, like who's the favorite to be the first pick? Yeah. And then how does it follow? I, I think that it's funny because I like McCarthy the most among these guys in the summer, but I think McCarthy would be fourth. I think he'd be last. Uh, uh-huh. And part of that's kind of your, your opportunities you get a little bit. Like he doesn't have as many opportunities to really just cut loose. And when he does, it's not always the best. Uh, I, the number one to me is Shadur or Carson Beck. I'm trying to figure out right now which one it is. I think I would lean Shadur just because he can do, he's done a lot with very little, frankly. He doesn't have a ton of talent around him. Uh, he does have some that like, good mobility to extend plays. Beck can do it too. Uh, and Beck has had some really nice games, but he's also had some Missouri moments and Georgia Tech moments where it's just you, like you should be better than this based on what you have around you. He's also losing some great talent at receiver and tight end. Uh, so I think I would, I think I would lean Shadur, which feels kind of weird to say. I don't know. I think I would lean Shadur, then Carson Beck, then yours, and then JJ McCarthy. But I think you could flip the top two. I think if it really clicks for yours, though, he'll be the first pick. I just oh yeah, don't I think know yeah, I think he's got a higher ceiling than Beck, in my opinion. I don't know about Shadur's always been tough for me to evaluate. You know this. I posted my draft profile on him like the day before he went out and passed for 500 yards, and I was oh, I might have made a mistake here. But uh, yeah, it's Shadur's always been the wild card to me, and that's the tough part to evaluate in this process. But I do think that yours has a higher ceiling than Beck. I just think that teams will look at Beck and say, this is a guy who can just go out, execute an offense, keep us on track, and just uh, be consistent and not have the the level of volatility that someone like yours might have at various times in his career. No, uh, yeah, right. Like I think I think those will be the top three to four, right? Depending on what McCarthy does. And we'll see with like Drew Aller and some of the younger kids. Um, <laughs> who- <laughs> Drew Aller. <laughs> I, I'm just like I, I don't know I don't know <laughs> like I don't I can't Kate Klovnik who else for like, Garrett Dustmeyer I don't know maybe those will be the, just the top three and that will be it uh, sophomore <laughs> yeah, group is I, definitely I think, I'm, I'm glad we have guys going back to school because if we did I mean Brandon I would have loved to see them all come out and just have one loaded quarterback class but if no one went back to school what would we have done next year we really would have been relying on someone just anyone to transfer uh, we've been, we would need that Liberty kid to go to play somewhere good just to go out and have a shot getting some someone to go in the first round. But it does seem like the way things are trending, we're going to have at least three first-round quarterbacks next year. Obviously, we know where you you stand on Drew Aller, but we'll, we'll get to we'll get to him later on. Um, next, you know, that's it. Michigan, Alabama, Washington, Texas. Great college football playoff game. You know, we'll see what happens with you know the Washington Michigan game, but that's going to be another great opportunity to see the quarterbacks and just the prospects overall. Will Johnson versus Romo Dunze, that's going to be a fun one to see. Uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, your big board updated top two hundred for the month of December came out, and you know as always, I think as in depth as you get, as many player reports as I think anyone has, if not way more. Uh, you know, right? You know, you see a lot of these rankings. You're like, did it just thrown together? Like, how is it done? But you have the scouting reports on. You know, a, a lot of them, which is always cool to see. So yeah, take me through what how you constructed 
your big board and if anything changed from November? Yeah, so as always, I break the players down in tiers ahead of time. So I have players sit in different groups. So I'll have tier ones, blue chip players. There's six of them, in my opinion, in this class. There might be seven for the next time. We'll see. Uh, but essentially, you go by tiers. And so it makes it easier for me to put these guys in numerical order because you get through, you only have to do top six for the tier one. And then you go to tier two, which is another six players. You kind of work your way down the list like that. Guys stay within their own tiers. And they're, for the most part, interchangeable in that tier. But the tiers are kind of like the hard barriers for me that make this process easy. Because instead of having to rank just 300 plus prospects in general and group them into a top 200, I have a list of maybe 225, 230 players. So I know I have to get into top 200 and I have them broken down to tiers. So I'm only ranking 10 to 20 guys at a time as opposed to having to rank all of them at once, uh, which makes life a lot easier. There were some pretty big shifts, I would say, at different points in this uh, ranking. I was some like Ennis Rakestraw Jr. from Missouri, who I hadn't watched prior to this big prior to this big war coming out. Like he was a new addition to the list in terms of where he ranked, uh, being a top fifty player. Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon was another player who I hadn't really watched uh, for December, who I got my eyes on and felt really good about for this one, and some linebacker ships as well with Peyton Wilson jumping up. Uh, and Edrin Cooper as well, both them getting up into the top 60. Uh, so there are some changes, certainly. I do still think we're kind of holding par with a lot of these guys. There's not a ton of changes elsewhere, but there were certain players I'm still getting to watch for the first time and moving them around. Uh, Quarterback-wise, I think it's probably where we see some of the most shifts. We got a bunch of a group of a lot of veterans with Bo Nix, Michael Pratt, Michael Banks Jr., all between 79 and 85. Uh, Spencer Rattler's at 87, so we might as well lump him in there. But I think we've really seen the group of guys at quarterback who we trust versus the group of guys who we feel like are experienced players, but we feel like there's a lot of volatility with them. I've kind of broken those two groups apart now. And you can really see there's a, a pretty big gulf between the two of them at this point. I think with the yeah, the, the quarterback group, it's, it's going to change a lot, right? I think next week's game with Michigan and Washington could impact things. But no, it, it, it's always interesting to see how you group the quarterbacks Two guys I wanted your your take on Dallas Turner and Joe Alt. You know, consensus has them like if you're b- below seven on you know Alt, you're crazy, and if you're below like eleven or twelve on Dallas Turner, you're crazy, and you have neither near top twenty, so um, <laughs> or top twenty five actually. And you know, Dallas Turner, if you were to draft the top thirty two players on your board, would not be in there. So. With Joe Alt coming in at 26 and Dallas Turner 35, which I think you're a little high on Turner, but uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, take me through uh, uh, your thought process and, and what puts you lower than, I would say, where the consensus has has the two of them. Yeah, so Alt, I've, the more I watch Alt this year, the more I'm kind of liking what I saw from this season as compared to what I saw last year. I think there's been a lot of growth from him, even from an athletic standpoint. Uh, that being said, I, th- I still think there's a lot of issues I have with him. There's still a lot of weight spending. He relies a lot on his length to bail out his feet at times. He's got some heavier footwork. Now, I don't necessarily trust as much in pass protection as I trust from other players. So there's some limitations there. And it just comes down to him being so tall that he has issues with his hips, with his uh, leverage to some extent, and his feet are not necessarily what I was hoping them to be in terms of the agility 
to really match up with some explosive pass rushers. So, so there's a, there are some limitations there. Obviously, he's really good in the run game, but I think as a pass protector, he has some issues there, which is why he's a little bit lower than some of the guys who I feel like have more security in terms of where they're going to be drafted, and you feel like you're going to be more consistent in the NFL. Uh, with Dallas Turner, I just don't see an edge one type player in terms of the NFL. And with the way he's built, I, people talk about sometimes as, as an athletic freak. I just don't see that from him. There have been matchups this year against good offensive lines where he's just been taken out of the game. And again, he's, he's number 34 on my board. So he's still pretty high up. But I have not seen the level of dominance I would want from a first round edge rusher. And I don't think that he has the physical tools to really compensate for that. And at least Brendan Trice has solid arm length and, and good power. I think Turner, yeah, I'm like, this is okay, but it's not fantastic. He's got kind of thin hips, so he's kind of limited in how much bulk he can put on his body. He's not the most explosive or bendiest player out there. I don't know. I, I just think he's a solid player, but not this first-round world-wrecking type player. I think there's other guys that are positions who have higher ceilings and frankly safer floors than Dallas Turner does. No, I agree. I, I think that Turner, you know, he would be... You know, lower, yeah, low for me. I, yeah, I think it's a tough thing when you get these prospects who are ranked so high, right? When most people have him in the top 10. He's been productive. He plays at Alabama. Same thing with Alt. But, you know, go back two years ago. If you put Zach Tom from the Green Bay Packers in the top 10 and you put Evan Neal at 246, you'd look like a genius right now. But, right, like <laughs> nobody does that, right? Like if you put a Kwanu. And Evan Neal, super low, right? Like, those guys have really, you know, struggled in the league. Aquanu less so than Neal. Neal has been, you know, benchable. But, right, like, and, and there have been guys later, Luke Gedecki even um, ha- has had success to right tackle for the Buccaneers. So it, it becomes a tougher thing, right? Like, how do I gauge this uh, in, in terms of this pass rusher or this offensive tackle? And, and how good they are, right? You know, it, you go back to each class, and it's like, man, like these first round picks, they don't always. Man, it's just a tough thing of like, where do you put them? Like, I'm lower. Like, like Dallas Turner being the 35th best player in the draft is an unbelievable player, but he's maybe not the seventh or eighth best prospect that um, people have put him there. So, no, I, I like the uh, explanations on the two, two of them. Uh, interested, less so like uh, ranking wise, but just. Uh, Byron Murphy versus Devondre Sweat. I know we talked about them earlier, but they're fascinating to me. You got two of the best defensive tackles. You could argue the two most talented defensive tackles in the draft uh, or, you know, athletic. I mean, what Devondre Sweat's going to test at that size is going to be pretty special as long as he's determined. So the two of them, I know we talked about not taking sweat in the first round. So I guess more question with Murphy, who's in that same bucket. Jerzon Newton, 21, Murphy, 30. I think people have kind of just put Newton as the de facto number one guy. And, you know, most people don't really know a ton about Murphy. Do you think there's a shot Murphy jumps Newton? Like, like, or what percentage would you put it out? Uh, How about this? I'll make you Vegas again. And, you know, if you had to put the uh, percentage numbers, right, like 60-40, Newton's the first one, 80-20, where would you be at with the two of them? Yeah, I'd be around like 45, I want to say. It's not quite a 50-50 split. I think Newton deserves to have things tilted his way because he's been so proficient as a pass rusher. And you really see with his hand usage in particular. Uh, He's phenomenal in that sense. Him and uh, Latu on the edge have the best hand usage in this class in terms of pass rushers. But 
That being said, Newton plays a little bit high with this pad a little at times. Doesn't have a lot of bend. And he's a little bit undersized, too. His weight's not fantastic for the interior. Murphy can be a little bit undersized, too. But he also plays with really good leverage because of how short he is in comparison to some guys around him. But he's also got positional versatility. You can move him around all along the offensive line. He's got more bend. He's a little bit of a more loose, natural athlete. Doesn't have the developed pass rush plan yet. He's still got some good hand usage, but doesn't have that quite developed just yet. You, but you can see the flashes of it. You know it's coming eventually. So if you're drafting for ceiling and drafting for athleticism, I think Byron Murphy is going to be your guy over some like Jason Newton. And I do think, like I said, 55, Newton, 45, Murphy. And I'm sure it comes out if we go to the combine, we get all the testing data and Murphy tests uh, 87th percentile or higher, something like that. Then it's probably going to flip for sure. Yeah, no, I'd be I'd be interested because I think that's going to be the battle for the top D tackle, and people aren't really talking about it now. I have Murphy ahead of Newton, but I understand you know most people opposite, but yeah, you know, we'll we'll see then. But yeah, uh, I, I think those two interesting thought, and you know we didn't have this plan, but I want to get your take edge rusher wise, like thinking about it right now. If you had to bet who is the best edge rusher from this draft, not the highest drafted one, the best edge rusher based on what you've seen. Um, from this class in the NFL, who who would you put your money on there? I still think Verse, uh, because of what he offers you both in terms of power, and he's got not a lot of bend, but he's got enough bend, enough pass rush moves. I think he's going to give you a well-rounded profile in the NFL. So I would still lean Verse, but I think there's some, <laughs> you can kind of go off the reservation a little bit, and you can kind of go with a, a Chop Robinson if you're trying to take the Byron Young route of just having like an explosive guy who like tests like ridiculous numbers. It was mostly a pure pass rusher. Maybe it's chopped. He might get the best sack numbers for you. I can tell you, I feel comfortable. It'll probably be in this grouping between, I would bet, Verse. Or I think you might be jumping on the board and saying, what if someone like Marshall Neal and puts it all together and taking like, take the long shot odds. It might be worthwhile in the script to see if an athlete like that can put things together and, and really have a great career. Uh, but I, I do think the guys who I would put money on if we had to take bets would be verse would probably be the the one you're not making a ton of money on. The next level down would be chop. And after that, I would just go for the long shot and kneel it. Like those would be the three guys I'd be looking at. Just because verse again, well-rounded chop, you have a ton of pass rush upside there with the bend and the versatility in that sense, the explosiveness. And then Neeland, you have the tools, but you don't have any of the refinement. So I think those would be the guys I'd be looking at. Yeah. Marshawn Neeland from uh Western Michigan. Hey, Max Crosby. I, I guess Nick Bosa is better than him, but there's no Nick Bosa in this year's draft. So, you know, maybe Marshawn Neal, the next Mac prospect who becomes a, a superstar. It's a fun exercise probably to do uh, closer towards the draft of your long shot. This guy will be the best player at that position. You know, probably outside of tight end because Brock Bowers. Uh, I, I, I would say it's truly impossible for any of them to be better than him. Right? Like, I'm not going to make you say... We're all talking about him in a second, but I'm not going to make you say Theo Johnson is better than Brock Bowers. Nothing against Theo Johnson, but uh, fun exercise probably to do later. But yeah, uh, guard class. We haven't really talked about it a ton. Um, we, we did it more over the summer. I think it gets overshadowed by the tackle class, but... He had a good group in, in the top 100. I know Zinter's included uh, in your rankings at 64. He won't go that high because of injuries. But um, of the grouping um, in your top 100, um, and I guess I think the last one was Christian Haynes at 91. Um, how many of them do you view 
as day one starters or you're like first contract starters? Like, how do you view this top 100 uh, with the guard class? Yeah, I think you looking at the day one starters, I think Fontenot obviously is a day one guy uh, for you. Fuaga, we can talk about this for the mock draft later, but I think even something like Talisi Fuaga, if you might not view him as a day one tackle, you might view him as a day one guard. And there have been plenty of good tackles who have started their careers as a guard in the NFL. Fuaga has some other traits that would make him good as a guard. So I could see potentially uh, if he falls far enough, which I don't know that he will, but if he goes to a team that is looking to build on restocking offensive line, he might get some run guard. Those two guys for sure, day one stars at guard right away. I think Cooper Beebe will be in that grouping. Uh, Grant Barn, I think, will be more, more of a center than a guard, but you might have a little bit of a combination of the two. If you're drafting Grant Barton on either first or second round, you're you're drafting him to be a, a day one starter, essentially. Uh, so I put him in that group. And then you and I are higher on Brandon Coleman than seemingly everyone else. But I do <laughs> think he can start day one for you because he has so much experience and he is a pretty versatile player. Those guys, for sure. Uh, again, Zinter not healthy. If Zinter was healthy, I put him in this group. Uh, same with Kron Amagaji. Not, not currently healthy. Maybe healthy when the season starts, though. But there's obviously a, a, a ton of projecting that goes into that. So I'll just kind of put him in a bucket to the side. Uh, I say Adams is kind of the cutoff for me then, as far as guys who I feel comfortable starting day one. Personally, yes. But again, we haven't seen Adams play guard really outside maybe, what, two games this year? It's It's a little bit of taking a risk on him, but I still think that he'll probably go third round as a guard. And I think you're, I mean, by year two, if not earlier than that, he's going to get starting snaps. When we see how often these guys get hurt and injured in the NFL, I have a feeling he'll probably see some run as a rookie, but I think he's probably guy year two will get the chance to be a starter that start multiple games, at least. It's a good, solid group. Uh, Yeah. It's just, when you when you look on day two, like, I'm a huge fan of Isaiah Adams. I know we both like Brandon Coleman. They're not consensus guys there yet, at least. But I think they add to a group because there really seems to be Fatano. And then, yeah, wherever you put Fuaga. And then you look at after that, it's like, you know, Cooper Beebe. You know, the arm length is going to be a concern. You know, it's under 32, right? Like, you know, he's not going to test uh, any, you know, and, and be a special athlete like that. So, like, you, you can have a little bit uh, of concern there, right? Like, with Christian Haynes, I think there's some projection involved and he's going to be a little more scheme-dependent than than some other guys. And, right, like, where do you play Karan Amagaji? Because, right, like, he's going to have, like, the longest arms of any tackle in the NFL. So, why, you know, maybe you, you try him out there and you're able more of a, him as a project at, at, at tackle than guard, right? And then Zinter being hurt, uh impact things as well but yeah I, I like if you ask me like you know 10 years down the road i don't know if it sounds great but like i think isaiah Adams is gonna be a starter in the league right or eight to ten right like i i just think he's got that kind of ability to get that in the third round it, it's a home run so i think the ta- the guard class is being a little devalued um with the fact that i just don't think that they're as big in names uh yet at least but we talked to you know steve of uh, steve avia last year like oh Really good starter, like probably a third round pick, and then he went 36. And you know, obviously he's a stud now, but like, right, like if they're good, they'll be pushed up the board. And I think you know, Joe Titman was not talked about as a top 45 pick last year at this time, and he ended up being that as an interior offensive lineman, right? Like, 
they'll they'll end up going. We it's just it's hard to gauge in my opinion right now where where the class is at. But I think it's a good group that people are undervaluing. No, I, I agree with you there. I think the you have a solid number of guys who could be starters in the first two years, and then you get even deeper. You go to the fourth round, and you guys like. Dominic Booney is probably going to go higher than this, Frank. That's where I have him grid. I mean, the NFL is going to probably view him as maybe a top 100 player. Uh, the tackle from Kansas is going to play guard in the NFL. Tate Ratlish as well uh, for Georgia. These are guys who are probably backups during their careers, but I think there's pathways from seeing starting snaps at some point in the first one, the rookie contract, essentially. Uh, so those are guys to keep an eye on, too. There's some solid depth to this class if you're looking for interior offensive linemen. I just don't know there's a ton of really top-end talent. Right. No, there isn't that Quentin Nelson or Elijah Barrett Tucker in this year's class. But with it, yeah, with it, right, we talk about like, yeah, these guys are year two started. It's like, I don't know, you look who the Patriots are throwing out there. Like, who would ever thought Antonio Maffi, City So, like those guys are rookie starters at any point in time, right? Like a lot of these teams, they end up having to start a lot of the, like, what? Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl team. We're going to talk about them a little bit in the mock draft in a second. But like, Wanye Morris is starting at left tackle for them, right? Like, guys get hurt. Like, guys who you never thought would be starting and starting early on. Like, Buffalo Bills, playoff team a few years back, draft Spencer Brown in the third round. He's starting day one for them, right? And like, FCS project, right? Like, these teams, right? Like you need them to start from very early on because there are no good offense linemen in the league. There are so many bad players. Um, so it just makes a situation that these guys end up getting starter reps, good or bad, early on, and, and it's who can adjust and and work on the fly. So, uh, and, you know, the only team really like Philly seems to be the team that can kind of you know stack the offensive linemen a little bit, but then guys get hurt. So, uh, but yeah, good interior offensive line class. I think we'll get more attention later. Next. Uh, your mock draft. So double whammy. We get big board top 100. And then your mock draft 1.0 first one, uh, for the year. Uh, my first question on it is how much of it was your like sticking to your big board, right? Like if I was making the pick for the team, here's exactly what I do versus all right. Like, you know, media like is hired on this guy. How did you work with, with within those two confines? Yeah, I think this one was kind of me just throwing stuff at the wall. So it was a little bit of a combination of taking, internalizing some of the rumors we've heard and some of the stuff we talk about, uh, but also leaning into some of my rankings and some of the stuff that's kind of more popular, I would say. Uh, so, for instance, like Joe Alt going seven to the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee fans love seeing that. I personally am lower on Joe Alt than that. I would not take Joe Alt that high. But I think there's a chance that the NFL will view it that way. One, because... He's just the fit for the Titans, too, because they're desperate for tackle help. And I do think there's going to be some credit to him, you know, having NFL bloodlines, being this guy who's going to be this massive human being, get a chance to talk to him in person, go through meetings with him. So it's it's really a mixture. And keep in mind that I, I made this mock draft after the course of four hours around midnight after spending a full day with family and friends in the holidays. So I was very tired and exhausted when I put this together. But I feel like the craze gave me some creativity and gave me some license to kind of mess around a little bit with some of the picks. Uh, so I did factor in some of the information we talk about in terms of we're hearing this, we're hearing that. But I also wanted to lean into a little bit of just mixing predictability or mixing levels of what we think the info will actually do with some of my own personal rankings. So not, not breaking any of my rankings per se for the sake of the league, but also trying to 
use a bit of predictive edge and we'll refine things as we go from here. Nah, yeah, I was a fan of seeing some. I thought there was a good mix. Guys that you really like um, more than the consensus that were included. And you're right, like Joel at seven wouldn't be for both of us, but I, watching Will Levis get killed every week, I would like to see. It doesn't matter who they put out there, but please don't be Andre <laughs> Dillard and Jalen Duncan. But right, like, how about that? Like, if Jalen Duncan could actually be, like, somewhat confident, like, he was asked to start as a rookie, right? Like, that's how, the position we're in is that offensive lineman, it's like, if you're a rookie, like, be prepared to start. I can get some action in. Like, it, it is just rough out there. So, uh, yeah. No, I like some uh, favorite picks. I'll start with mine. I really like Jordan Morgan to the Chiefs. Uh, I think he works well somewhere with this offensive line. I, you know, I think he can start at left tackle from day one and, like, you know, solidify a position where, like, you know, Juan Nies Morris is flashed, but I think as a prospect role, much higher on Jordan Morgan, like, you know, four rounds ish higher on him than um, Juan Yeh, right? Because, you know, Donovan Smith's not the answer. You know, he probably won't be back. And, you know, worst case, if Juan Yeh does work out, I still like it, right? Because, like, guys get hurt. And, you know, with, with, with Trey Smith, like, you can't pick Thune, Trey Smith, and Creed Humphrey. Like, someone's got to be gone. And whether it's Thune, and then you're paying Trey Smith. Like you're gonna have to bring someone else in, and you can see how a really weak link can impact a group. And I know they need receiver help and everything, but I didn't feel like there was a guy there that really fit where they could address the position in the second round. Because you know, I, I just think that less like you know, like you have Rashi Rice who, who's shown he could be a, a decent player. I don't really think their issue. I, I just think they've done a poor job with free agency, like Kadarius Tony training a third for him, like. Yeah, awesome punt return, everything, but like he's just he needs to be off the team. I think that helps everything. They just really failed with that Sky Moore pick. You know, I don't think anyone thought he'd be as bad as he, especially on this team. Uh, he's really struggled. Marcus Valdez Scantling can't catch the ball. You know, Kelsey's getting a little older, so I, I just think it's a little bit more of. An don't forget they reaction. trade they trade from Michael Hartman too mid season. Oh yeah, I, I did forget about that. So <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> It's just a yeah. I don't know if free agency is the best place to address it, but I don't really think like they need. I mean, they didn't have great weapons last year when they won the Super Bowl. Like, but like Juju Smith Schuster was good enough, and then he went on free agency and you know got paid eleven million dollars. So I don't think they have to do much. I just think that they should completely have not just whiffed, but just brought in bad players and, and just like really hurt them um, at wide receiver. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily overreaction. We need to take one in the first round. But uh, I like that pick, Jordan Morgan, to them. Tyler Newman to the Eagles. Safety is a position that the Eagles don't really over, don't really value much at all. Um, but I really think it's something that could, you know, help solidify a defense that needs a lot of help in the secondary for the future because it's getting older at cornerback um, on the on the outside. But I think you know, safety is a position that needs to be addressed. And Tyler Newbin, in my opinion, is the best safety in the draft. So, you know, a Super Bowl contending team that has really struggled to find their footing pretty much all season long. You know, they've had some good wins, but man, they've had a lot of close ones and they've looked really bad as of late. They just lost to the Arizona Cardinals. You told me the Eagles in December were losing to the Arizona Cardinals. I always say you're crazy. So um, they need to figure things out. And I think getting a leader, a ball hawk, someone can create turnovers like Newbin because you're going to be in situations against teams that are going to be forced to throw the football because you're the Eagles and you have a really good offense. So I really like that one. And then Cam Ward to the Falcons. We'll talk a little bit about him when we talk about the quarterback you know, discussion race. But 
man, would I love to see Cam Ward uh, with those weapons. You know, right? Like, he's playing in college. I, I don't understand, like, why people don't realize, like, he has 10 guys on his offense who won't sniff the draft. Like, they, he's got 10 undrafted free agents around him on every play. He's got an offensive coordinator that does a really good job scripting plays in the first half where he makes Cam look like a first rounder. And then he's got other guys throwing, like, he's got trick plays and all this other stuff in the second half. And, you know, awful. Night. And they're like the 100th. 29th ranked rushing offense in the league in the country sorry and you know they were going for it on like a pretty much every like three four times a game and were converting at zero or one time i mean their fourth down percentage i think they put washington's fourth down percentage last night and it was like 75 percent. i know they didn't have success they were like washington's was under 50 and they were just doing it so often I mean, it just was an awful situation to be in for an nfl quarterback um, but I think he can. Yeah, I think he can start from day one if the Falcons did draft him. That would be so much fun to watch him with Bijan, Kyle Pitts, and uh, maybe a new head coach who tries to get Drake London and those guys involved. Yeah, maybe a new head coach who uses the top ten picks on his roster. That'd be <laughs> revolutionary idea. But no, I do think that. Yeah, that was one of my favorite picks too to make live. You know, like, oh, this is so cool. It's just the idea in my mind of what would happen when you put him on an offense with that level of talent. I think that's for sure was one of my favorite picks to make in real time. Like that just fits so well. Yeah. How much, you know, Ritter as a prospect for his war, are you much higher on Ward? Oh, yeah. I mean, Ritter, yeah. I I would not. Where did Ritter go? Third round, I think. Or. Yeah, I mean, that's where he should have gone. Like, I feel like Cameron Ward should go before that for sure. And they got Dean Burler tweeting out that some team has a fifth round written Ward. Maybe he'll go around higher because he's his quarterback. I'm like, like, man, I'm telling you, he's better than that. Like, he's not. Yeah, I I wonder if he, like, we don't really see, like, he's an interesting one that I think the expectation was he was going to go back. I'm glad he didn't go to Miami. I think that would have been a bad spot for him just because I don't, I don't, I didn't see him like, with I didn't see the upside there with the pieces around him. I think it would have been a similar situation to Washington State, where he's just yeah. running around, you know, no one's open. I think if you put him in the right offense and it can right, like it sometimes it just takes a little bit, it clicks for him. I mean, he's he's the closest thing as a prospect, and I've said this a lot to Patrick Mahomes. He really is. There are so many similarities there with them as prospects. All right, I'm not talking about Patrick Mahomes, the NFL player. I'm talking about the guy who most people didn't have as this consensus. I don't think anyone had him in their top 10, really, right? Like, you look at all the big time analysts, especially at this point um, when Mahomes was coming out, like, no one really thought, like, hey, first, like, top 20, top 10 pick. I mean, like, he went ahead of Deshaun Watson. Uh, I'm not saying Ward will be a first round pick, but I'm just saying is like, you put him with a, uh, a head coach like Andy Reid and He's got a lot of... I mean, he's unbelievable talent. I, I don't understand why people don't um, really feel that way, right? Like, I, I think it was like, yeah, Brewer was like, fifth round, could go a round or two higher because of the upside. I was like, if someone's got a third on him or... Four, I mean, like, we both have top three round grades on him, right? Like, and I would 100% feel awesome taking him in the second round. So, I yeah. don't know. Well, here's the thing. I just wish... I kind of wish... Now we got one more year of him in a real, like a real college offense where they had NFL talent around him. I, I'm so, it's such a frustrating process because if you want to go to the draft, I wish he would have just declared it outright instead of 
making its way and be like, oh, he's got offers from Washington and Oregon and Ohio State and Miami and Florida State. Isn't this fantastic? And then you watch all of those schools go out and get quarterbacks that are not Cameron Ward. Uh, it's just the most, it was very frustrating to get to this point. I feel like maybe the hand was misplayed at some point in this whole process, perhaps. Maybe things didn't work out the way they were planned, but I'm I'm glad a decision has been made. I know he's got the Shrine Bowl invite they announced today, so I'm glad that's been decided and that things are going to start moving in a normal fashion again. Yeah, he's going to be awesome there because the other quarterbacks they're bringing in are not even... I, I don't. I, there's some disconnect between us and the NFL here, but it's like we're all watching the same thing, right? Like, and there have been quarterbacks like, like I think about a perfect example is Will Levis. Like I was more in line, granted the NFL ended up not taking him in the first round, but where like the NFL was thought of, like I was like all in on him, like you know top ten pick. Most people, you know, like yourself included, not there, and I understand that, but like it's like I've seen it with that process, like across like, like that. And then everyone like Bryce Young, right? And like, I like Bryce Young too. Like I've seen it with both guys. Like, I don't understand this Cam Ward. We're all watching the same thing, right? And like, why like does no one seem to, to be as high on him as we are? Like we're watching yeah. it and it's like, this kid is phenomenal. He outplayed Bo Nix when they played each other. He outplayed Michael Penix when they played each other. Like if you switch both of their situations, Granted, Penix has Washington undefeated, but I think they're in the same exact spot. And I think Oregon beats Washington at least one of those times if they have Ward instead of uh, Nick. And those guys are thought of as like these first, second round quarterbacks. And it's like, Cam Ward's a, f- I've got a fifth on him. I've got a fourth on him. It's like, I, I think he's at worst a second. <laughs> yeah. Here are the other quarterbacks who have like officially declared for the Shrine Bowl. You got uh, BYU. Pittsburgh and USC legend Keaton Slovis. You've got NC State and Kentucky legend Devin Leary. And then Austin Reed from Western Kentucky, who followed up a really good numbers year with a worse year this past season. I think, frankly, I mean, Leary certainly has regressed from what was it, 2021 when he had a really good year at NC State. Reed didn't have as good of a year this year as he did the past year. Slow, I mean, we. We know what Slovis is at this point. Slovis regressed from every point from like his freshman year on or sophomore year on, which was 10 years ago. So it's just, uh, it's so weird. It's so weird seeing that that level of talent and camera board going that group. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it could be an all eyes on me situation for him. And there are other players that I like as, as top 100 guys at uh, the Shrine Bowl. So I'm not, I'm not trying to knock it too much, but you know, I, I do think the quarterback grouping is just, very weird. It's a very weird grouping. Yeah, like I don't know. Like I, I think he's a top two round talent. I don't know if I'd have a draftable grade or even close to it on any of the other guys. And now people are like, right? The there's like it's like man, like I really like the good with uh, Cam Ward, but then there's the bad. But it's like, do you see who's on his team? Right? Like this is not like he's not dealing with a lot here. He's not working with much. Um, and he's as physically talented as you get, right? Like, I just, like, if you're going to bet on tools, like, he has them, right? Like, how is Richardson the fourth pick, and this kid's a fifth rounder, right? Like, I don't get it. Like, how is, like, like how is he not, I don't get how he's not a senior bowl guy yet, but I wonder if he plays well at the Shrine and goes to senior bowl. But, you know, guys like Jimmy Garoppolo was only a Shrine bowl guy and, you know, end up being a starter in the league. So, it's not like, you know, Aiden O'Connell out is better than, I think every single quarterback who was at the senior bowl last year. So it's like not a huge deal. Um, but 
I, yeah, I'm just surprised that he doesn't have more buzz because he's pretty phenomenal when he's at his best. Yeah, and that was our 20-minute Cam Ward segment that we had to go yeah, through oh my once God. every week. Yeah, he, he, him to the Falcons in your mock draft turned into yeah, us. He's phenomenal, so please, everyone, go watch his Oregon, Oregon State tape. Watch him against Washington. Watch him against... I mean, he outplayed every single... Shador Sanders, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. He outplayed all of them. DJ Uangalele, who committed to FSU, like, completely outplayed him, right? Like, you know, the games he had tougher times, like UCLA, like, yeah, Washington State's undrafted tackle just could not stop Latu. He probably had a pressure on him on every single play. Like, it's tough to deal with that, right? Like, yeah. like it's just tough. Yeah, and we will step back from Cameron Ward now, we promise. Yeah. But some of the guys who I liked, some of the fits I liked, uh, Ladd McConkie to the 49ers. And again, we're going back to mock draft mode. Ladd McConkie to the 49ers to pick... I think it was 31. Let me scroll back up to get there. Yeah, 31. Again, some of the order might have changed a little bit because of things that have happened in the past week. This mock's a week old. But Ladin McConkey to the 49ers might seem a bit weird to make this pick, but thinking into the future a little bit, they're going to run into situations where you have to play Brandon Ayuk. You have a George Kittle contract. You're keeping him around long-term. Bebo Samuel is hurt for three games every year. Like, there's just you're just adding talent, in my opinion. Just adding someone who you know is going to be open consistently. And again, like you like to manufacture targets for Debo Samuel, get him the ball. Brandon Ayuk's more your field stretcher. George Kittle is your do-everything kind of guy. I think Lad McConkie is a different club in the bag for them, uh, to use a golf reference. I think he just gives you a little bit of something that you don't have right now. And that's just a consistent route runner that can get open. It is another skilled position player who can get hurt very often. So you're adding to that group as well, which you might want to be worried about. But, uh, but I do think it gives you something different. In your wide receiver room and gives you maybe a rather long-term solution if you end up moving off of one of your pass catchers. Uh, on our pick, I like Byron Murphy to the Chargers at 37. He's not going to go this low, but uh, if he did somehow get there at 37, the Chargers, it feels like it's been a long time since they had a meaningful interior pass rusher, and they have guys on the outside. Bosa obviously has had so many injuries now, I don't know if you can really count on him, but hypothetically, you have Joey Bosa. You're going to have Cleo Mack who's had a heck of a year. You know, you've got some talent on the outside. And I think you just really are suffering from guys running up your throat right now. And you don't really have great linebacker play to fall back on. So I think that you're adding Byron Murphy to help you out both as a pass pressure and a run defender in the middle. I just like the fact they're adding someone along the interior because it feels like they haven't had that kind of presence for a while. And then our Pittsburgh Steelers adding Edrin Cooper from Texas A&M because, my God, please draft the linebacker this year. I uh, like I just we're on linebacker what five and six this year it feels like we're picking guys up off the street guys who retired to go play what plumbers and mechanics earlier this year or bringing them back to play linebacker uh, I think that Pittsburgh look Pittsburgh had some talent at linebacker this year it was not gonna be anything phenomenal but they had guys who ho- could hold in the fort and they all just got injured and they're not guys that I know that you want to necessarily bring back off of injury there's something adding some like Edrian Cooper's got a lot of athleticism and some level of instincts would be good for you. I pick again, this is pick 48, by the way, not the first round. But I just think that'd be a position that is really bleeding right now for them. They really need help. Uh, frankly, I liked all my linebacker fits to someone. I put Peyton Wilson at 55 Tampa Bay. He might not go that high because of injuries, obviously. But replacing Devin White, who's a free agent with him, I think would make a lot of sense. Hopefully, they'll bring back the line up to David. Uh, and then Philadelphia at 61 gets Jeremiah Trout Jr. So a legacy pick, essentially, but also a guy who will desperately help their linebacker room because Lord knows they need it. But 
they're also in the same boat as Pittsburgh, picking up guys who were essentially retired or basically cut from their teams early this year. So I think I like my linebacker fits. Yeah, no, I I, I think they all work well. The last thing um, in terms of quarterbacks uh, that I wanted to touch on, you put six in there. Right, we only talk about the first round, and yours is going back to school. He was in there. Obviously, we didn't know, and I, I think it was a, a smart decision to put him in there just in case. How many do you think we see go in the top two rounds, based off of um, kind of what we're seeing right now as the college football playoff unfolds? Yeah, so we know for sure that G at this point, Jane Daniels, Drake May, Caleb Williams are going to be in the first round. We feel pretty comfortable with that. And then those are the only three I had in the first round. I had J.J. McCarthy, Quinn Ewers, and Cameron Ward in the second round. At this point, I think I would say the over-under is either four and a half or five and a half in the top two rounds. I would lean probably five. I would like set a line at five and a half, whether you go over-under. I would say five-ish. Uh, you're going to get the top three for sure. I think you're going to get Cameron, well, Cameron Ward. That's based a little bit on my own evaluation. But even if you don't, you're probably going to get panicked somewhere in the late second round just because he's, I mean, he's better than what you had last year in uh, Hooker. And I think he's going to be obviously having similar injury concerns, but I think he'll probably still find a way into the second round. And then you're looking at, again, the top three panics for sure in the second round. And then you'll get the fifth one from either Bo Nix or Cameron Ward. Someone's going to like one of those guys probably enough to take him in the second round. So I think we see we see five, and I would have to guess. Yeah, I think at least Knicks and Penix probably go in the second, and then right, like we like Cam Ward, but you know maybe a team likes Pratt or you know Spencer Rattler as well enough, right? Like we see it last year with Kyle Trask, or a few not last year, a few years ago with Kyle Trask, Kellamon, Davis Mills all going like where I think if you asked us at this point going into the 2021 draft, like I don't think we would have thought any of them would have been like that high draft pick. So yeah, Cora, especially Kellen Mond there. So I, I, I think that they'll rise and I think that the senior bowl, shrine bowl and, you know, combine, you know, just those things will be like, like interviews for Pratt, like teams may fall in love with that, you know, like Rattler, if he's really changed, you know, we'll see. Maybe, I think Knicks and Penix, someone's going to take a swing on them, at least in the second round. Who knows if Penix goes and throws 500 yards next week? I think maybe he ends up in the first round or second just because of the injury history and everything. So, yeah, I'd put the line at five and a half. Um, well, that's actually, it's a tough one, right? Because I think we get five, but like, you might like, we think more for six and maybe one of the others, but we'll, we'll see. So, uh, yeah, Cameron Ward declaring helps, and I think Penix playing well does, and you know Nick's has his fans and everything, so so that will help out. Um, but yeah, quarterback uh, class, uh, I think we're going to see you know eight nine go in the top one hundred, and then like free for all on day three. There is no depth. There is there is no depth. There's nine ten quarterbacks, and then just a bunch of undrafted talent. So you know if John Clifford goes in the fifth, you know we'll see some go on day three, but we don't know where. Um, but yeah, that was your mock draft 1.0. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll continue to track those throughout the season. Uh, prospects watched uh, six this week. Andrew Rame center at Oklahoma. Jackson Power Johnson center at Oregon. Javian Cohen, offensive guard Miami. Nathan Thomas, offensive tackle Louisiana. 
Malik Washington, wide receiver, Virginia, and Theo Johnson, tight end, Penn State. I just chose easy names. That, that was it. There, there, there's nothing to do with talent. No, I'm kidding. But um, let's start with the centers. Andrew Rain first, and then Jackson Powers Johnson second. Your, your takeaways from their film. Yeah, and the centers, I actually walked away feeling pretty good about both of them right now. So I'm I'm in a pretty happy mood knowing there's some strength in this center class. Uh, we're going to start with Jackson Powers Johnson just because I had him graded higher. I gave him a third round grade. I think he's more of a scheme versatile center. Although I do I do see some people point out that maybe he's not going to be the best mover in terms of he's really good moving in a straight line, but maybe not pulling necessarily. We have to make a certain arc. So maybe he's more of an inside zone kind of guy, but I think he could play with his mobility in most schemes. Uh, he's a versatile center with the mobility and power in his core and upper body to fit many schemes in the NFL. People are going to love his motor and play style uh, in the pre-draft process. I do think more experience is needed, though. This is really his first year as a full-time starter at center. He does have some guard experience as well, but he's, a, he's probably going to be a pure center in the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, really, what's he about him? He's a very young player. Again, very inexperienced, but a young player with a thick upper frame, really good motor. Uh, coaches are going to love him in terms of how he plays on the field. Really good power in his hands as well. He's got quick and heavy hands to neutralize the defender's attacks and also knock them back. Really good grip strength, and he frames blocks well. You can see his core strength. There are times where he legitimately picks guys up and gets their feet off the ground, essentially. The guy has got really good torque in his upper body to be able to move guys out of gaps. He plays with a wide base to absorb power as a pass protector. And he creates good displacement in the run game. And I mentioned the mobility. He can execute reach blocks, uh, generate good movement on down blocks, can pull. He can be a lead blocker on screens. He can climb up the middle for combo blocks. He can do whatever you want, essentially. So the movement, I think, is a high high level for him. and something definitely stands out in his profile. Uh, some of the negatives, again, the inexperience does pop up every now and then. He's a lower half. While he's powerful, his lower half is still a little bit lean. Uh, and you can tell like his build, he's high-hipped. He's got some hip stiffness because of that. Doesn't have a great agility or suddenness, and he has limited arm length as well, which can hinder his ability to sustain blocks in the run game. And there are instances where he kind of stands straight up after snapping the ball, so the pad level is a little bit of a concern too. Uh, again, that might also play into how high hip he is. That kind of might play a role into that, and it might spiral a little bit, but uh, hopefully he can adjust that in the NFL. And there are times where he gets hit where his base just is not set yet. I think part of that is going to be the experience factor. He kind of gets hit on the move a little bit. He just has to work that out and rep that out, essentially. So I think experience will be huge for him. That can help with some of the issues of him anchoring too high, the hand placement being inconsistent at times. The awareness still needs work as well. Uh, but that will all get addressed in due time. I think he's a third-round pick. Uh, at worst, I don't think there's any way he gets past the top 100. I, I just think, yeah, the center class needs some talent. I, I think the two of these guys... Like uh, Powers Johnson stunned me because uh, like his tape at guard versus center, and then with Rain, uh, well Powers Johnson first, like I just was like wow, like there was such a big difference last year to this year. Um, I just you know was out of position last year, and then Rain, it's like I think there's some elements of Jarrett Patterson to him. Um, I think with the two of those guys, um, really at because. Would you put like where do you with Van Pran? How does he fit in with that grouping? So I'd probably put Van Pran after Powers Johnson, but ahead of Ram. That's how I look at it. Uh, 
I liked elements of Rams game and I'll kind of touch on him now a little bit. I think he's more of a late fourth, early fifth round kind of guy, uh, center on an inside zone or gap scheme. I think he's a better offensive lineman than he is a center. Let me put it this way. He's got snap issues, which is probably not the best thing for a center, but there are a large number of snaps where he either snaps it too early or snaps it too low. The timing's off. The placement's off. He just has those problems. I didn't see that with Jackson Tyrus Johnson. I didn't, I didn't see it with uh, Van Pran either to some extent. So I think there's just some fundamental issues there that you're going to have to address. You take Ram. Again, good offensive lineman, but just not a fantastic center right now. And I don't know. He's got a lot of experience at center. I don't know how it's going to ever change. So you might you might be in a situation where you're just, just kind of set up for failure, which is unfortunate. But you know, there are certainly positive elements to his game, but I think there's definitely a drop between Van Pran and Ram, in my opinion. And a lot of it just comes down to like the fundamental snapping of the football, which is kind of key to their jobs. So now quickly, I, I do want to touch on this. Like we're watching the Pittsburgh Steelers and Mason Cole this year has been just like abysmal when it comes to snapping the football. Like I watch Aaron Brewer when watching the Titans play. It's like, man, like I don't know how you know good or bad they are, but it's like if you're struggling, it, it just takes away from the we saw it with Alabama Center. Like if you're struggling with the first part of that, you know, play, like it totally throws everything off. The quarterback's flustered. You know, right. If it's a if it's a pitch, if it's a handoff, if it's a throw, you're just like, it takes a like a millisecond longer if it throws just that much to your left or right that like it impacts the play so much, right? So that's why I asked with Ram because like there's a lot of similarities after the ball is snapped. It's like a Jared Patterson type. Or it's like, yeah, like I, like I wouldn't be stunned if at the end of year one, like he's like playing a little bit. But you go back to something that like people like don't focus on as much that is the only, the most important part of their job. And um right. So with like the two of them, right. And I just it's just interesting to compare them with Van Pran because I feel like Van Pran thought of pretty highly. Um and I think you get like two totally different prospects with Powers Johnson and Rain. Yeah. And with Ram like and he is a high motor player with a thick box like frame. So he's built like an offensive line. He looks built for yeah. the role. Uh, he's got he's quick to replace his hands. He's got some heavy hands too, with some nice uh, punches and pass protection. Plays with a wide base, good anchor as well. Keeps his head on a swivel. He's got solid lateral mobility. He's not as mobile as Powers Johnson, but he's got enough mobility where you feel comfortable with short poles. Him climbing to the second level. He's got a nice first step too, so it kind of helps out his range as a run blocker. Uh, and he's able to get low and drive guys off the line of scrimmage. So there are certainly elements to this game that you really like, but some of the negatives. Uh, not really a position versatile player, limited arm length. They can't really get like defenders are getting to his chest too. Cause again, limited arm length. Sometimes he has wide hand placement. Uh, he can be a step late to redirect sometimes and cut off rushers. Doesn't have great lateral agility and he can be a little bit, uh, he can lean on guys. He can get and really get over his feet at times, lean on guys and kind of get pulled off balance. So there are definitely negatives to his game. But I think the biggest issue again is the snapping. Like otherwise, he's a solid prospect. I was tempted to give him like just a straight mid, early, early to mid fourth round grade. But then you watch the snap it and it's like these are so, these are off. And you see he's got a couple of them this year. Or it's like you just can't be doing this in the big game. So, uh, yeah, more of a mid day three kind of guy. 
not right. That that's going to be a concern with, with Powers Johnson in comparison to Zach Frazier. I feel like Van Pran and Raym are more in that same like right. Talk about like limited arm. Like, are they really good at like, like, like? There's just like there's limited upside there, but it's like they played a lot of football at big school, and that seems to matter so much with centers, right? Like you bet on all these other guys, and the guy who ends up starting is Jared Patterson, right? Like this is just that's just what happened. Um, how does you know Jackson Powers Johnson compare to you to Zach Frazier? And then the last like, because you see a lot of second round buzz with Powers Johnson, and do you think he ends up going there or even top fifty? I think part of it comes down to where Graham Barton is drafted and what position he's drafted for. If he's the top center off the board, you might legitimately only have one center go in the first two rounds. I think that's totally reasonable. Uh, but if he's drafted as a, like two. Jacksonville took a center last year, look for or two years ago, and he plays guard. Then you could be looking at, yeah, you could be looking at Power Johnson getting into the second round. But I don't know if he's really that kind of game changing prospect. As I said, he's got a lot he has to work out still. Uh, Frazier coming off a pretty significant injury, I believe, from West Virginia. Uh, he's more filled out, like his, his frame is more even, I would say, than someone like Jackson Power Johnson. Uh, wrestling background, he dominated Baylor. I remember just watching over the summer. I just remember the Baylor tape from 2022. He, he destroyed them. But then he had like a couple of positive reps against Texas, but for the most part, Texas tossed him around a bit. So I'm kind of back and forth on him as a prospect. I would lean more conservatively to Frazier being more of a late third, early fourth round kind of guy who kind of connects the Jackson Powers Johnson category to the Cedric Van Pran category. He's kind of the guy in the middle, in my opinion, from that group. Yeah, no. I, I agree there. So, but yeah, no, I think it would depend, right? Like what happens with Barton. I, is it, if yours, it's just not a good center class. It's just, it, no. it just isn't. No, not at all. Right. Like, does that, like, you're seeing it with teams like, man, some of these centers, like, really weak. Like, I'd love for Pittsburgh to take one. Right. But it's just like, it's the value there. I, don't, I just don't think it will be. You're just overdraft. That's how Juice, granted, he's not playing center, but it's that like the offensive line-wise last year, that's how Juice Scruggs ends up in the second round where you watch this film, you're like, is he a top 100 pick? No. Like, right? Like the, like with all these guys, Monye Morris and Ricky Stromberg and Nick Saldaveri and Blake Freeland, right? That's like, are these guys really this good? And think about Jake Andrews, City So. Antonio Mafia, granted, maybe that's just the New England Patriots, but man, these guys just get pushed up the board like crazy. And it's just like the value is just so not there. But it's like if he can like be like a below average starter, like that's a home run in the third, fourth round. You know, as long as he's not an F or a D minus offensive lineman. So um, interesting thoughts there with those two. Javian Cohen, Miami offensive lineman transfer from Alabama, uh, decently high recruit, I think. And, uh, you know, started early on there, but transfers to Miami. Your thoughts there? Yeah, I came much lower on him than I was expecting to after watching him live and then going back and watching the tape. I ended up giving him a, a fifth-round grade, and this is a player who falls in the I would not want my team to draft him category. I just don't love the upside there. I think he's a patient pass protector with good power in his hands and a well-developed uh, understanding of bio-positioning in the run game. But I think there are physical limitations that cause him to really struggle against power doesn't have a real huge impact in the run game. I just don't see him being a top 100 player. I, I don't know if he'll get in the fourth round either, frankly. I think there's just too many limitations there. Uh, he just has some experience 
playing obviously a big time program, but he's only really been a left guard in college. Uh, I think there's limited lateral agility. He can duck his head into contact at times. Doesn't have a lot of hand counters to avoid losing early in the rep. His pad level will rise very quickly and he'll resort to lunging. Uh, his chest is frequently over his knees and he's outreached by defenders lots a handful of times. Uh, you can see inconsistent footwork really sabotage his base and he struggles to anchor against power even when his base is set. Doesn't really sink his hips well and can't re-anchor mid-rep. Uh, and gets pushed back to the point of attack. He's just not a good run blocker. His run blocks are tossed away too easily and there are times where he just doesn't, it looks lost frankly as a run blocker at times. And there's even times with pass protection where the guy's standing around and the quarterback's still scrambling. So I, I just don't, I didn't love this player a lot. He can use, like I said, good body positioning and reliable clamp strength. He's not fooled by spin moves. Uh, good mobility, but not great. You know, I, I just don't think there's a high level play here. I think this guy's a, just the body on a roster for the most part. I agree. I, yeah, I, I was like, so not impressed with him. Uh, yeah, I, right, when you go back to it's like, you give a grade to a guy, and it's interesting. It's all right, but when I right because of reasons that, like, especially with offensive linemen, I ran into this with a couple later round offensive linemen, where it's like, I give you a six round grade because that's basically right. Like, I see this level upside, which isn't much, right? But it's like you can back up multiple spots, right? And I'm not saying this with COVID, but like you back up multiple spots. Like he can snap the ball. And he has experience at guard and center. Do I like him at all? No. Would I want my team to draft? No. But like everything he does equates to a draftable grade. So it's interesting, especially with offensive linemen, right? When you, you go there, I know we've talked about a couple like linebackers, especially where it's like you give him a grade, but it's like, do I want the team I'd be the GM for to draft him? It's like, eh, maybe not. Right? There will be, right? He's a seniorable invite. He's going to go um, at worst. Like he'll be a draft pick. But yeah. Um, I came away a little disappointed too. I, I was expecting a lot more just with his pedigree, but you know, it, it just wasn't there on film. Yeah, speaking of being disappointed, uh, Nathan Thomas <laughs> from Louisiana, uh, I gave him a sixth round grade. I think he's a multi year project, the left tackle who might move inside the guard because he doesn't have great arm length. I think Jim Nagy said his arm length was 33 and 5 eighth inch hand, uh, arms. So, I mean, other than that, his size is phenomenal. Like, you, you turn on the tape. And the build immediately jumps out to you. He looks like an NFL offensive lineman and he stands apart. But that that build and that thickness and that level of density that his body has just doesn't translate to a very great player right now. Uh, again, he was a former, I guess he was a former tight end convert, which is why he took so long to really get a lot of playing time in college. But I mean, he's got the size and play strength to be drafted. But I think his hand usage, his lateral explosiveness, and his demeanor in the run game are all. You know, questionable. They all need a lot of work. I think it's a multi-year project. I don't think he's going to start in the first two years of rookie contract. He might be a contributor by year three, but I think you're looking at, like I said, like a long-term kind of guy uh, who might even kick inside the guard. Because right now, he can't handle the explosive wide alignment rushers. He doesn't have that level of mobility to get out there that quickly. Uh, and again, he's already dealing with limited arm length compared to some other tackles. Uh, there are times where he is outreached. Doesn't hasn't maximized his arm length really to defend his chest as a player. His hand placement is wide and frankly inconsistent. The pad level is too high. Uh, he needs to refit his hands more often. Uh, the footwork and pass work can be segmented and too slow at times. It doesn't have answers for guys who line up out wide uh, and then rush past. Like, oh, this is, this is the last thing I'm going to mess up. But Richard uh, G. 
Jibuner. Jibuner. The the Troy the Troy yeah. rusher. Yeah, yeah. He didn't. He beat him a couple times around the outside. Uh, and Thomas can get caught leaning in pass pro. Doesn't really mix up his pass sets at all. Doesn't really change his tempo at all. Uh, doesn't have great hip flexibility and his awareness in the run game is not great. And he's not a mauler either. Despite having a lot of size, he doesn't really overpower guys in the run game. He was that was really what disappointed me. He's, in the run game, I expect this dude to be a big body mover, and he's just not that. Despite being so much bigger than a lot of the guys he's playing against, uh, but like I said, he does have a really good build. He's got a lot to build on. He's he's played tight end. He transitioned to tackle in college, so you can say, oh, there's developmental upside there. But I don't think he's a player that's going to contribute for you really early in his career. No, I thought more PS Day. Um, just yeah, right. Like it goes back to like I like the guard center versatility guys late, but like I just. College tackle, right? He doesn't have 34 and a half inch arms or something, right? The, the arms are nothing special, right? He struggles uh, a little bit with those more athletic players. I prefer power five guys if I'm going to take a, a later round guy who I don't think has a ton of upside. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. I didn't I didn't think um, he was a very good prospect, but uh, Shrine Bowl uh, player with good size and everything in Louisiana's produced. You know, Kevin Dotson and Robert Hunt could make a combined like 35 to $40 million on the open market this year as offensive guards. And then same thing with Osiris Torrance. He's going to follow suit and be a really high-paid player in a few years. So they, they've produced, granted, you know, things have changed, especially with, especially with Billy Napier gone. But uh, yeah, I can't be disappointed in this film um, as well. A guy I, I liked, um, and you did uh, as well, Virginia wide receiver Malik Washington. Uh, what were your takeaways from his film? Yeah, I give him a fourth round grade. A lot of that comes back to the size. I mean, college listed him at five foot eight, one ninety four. So you're talking about maybe someone's like five foot seven ish, one ninety, one eighty five. So he, size is gonna be a limiting factor for him, which is why he's a fourth round player, not a third round guy for me. Uh, that being said, his ball skills, his contact balance, by the way, his contact balance is really good for a player that size. And his savvy route running uh, and route salesmanship will give him a lot of ability to impact the game at the NFL level early on in his career. Again, you're just kind of betting against the size, which is why I have as a fourth rounder and not higher. Uh, but he's got some experience playing outside. He's got speed to challenge defenders up the seam in the slot. He manipulates the defender to establish inside leverage with really quick feet, set defenders up at the top of the stem. Uh, he's got some nicely run routes. Again, he could be a little bit crisper with his routes, but he's got usually pretty good route running skills. He mixes tempo to sell fakes. He's got having sudden acceleration to capitalize on routes that he sells really well, which is he's got a lethal out and up, by the way. Defenders always bite on that. And he's a really good actor to sell guys and make guys kind of slow down, and then he'll shift the gears and get by you. Uh, he's got a lot of creativity, too, to get open on plays, especially when plays break down. Really good at finding space against zone. And he rarely drops ball. He's a natural hands catcher with really good ball tracking, despite not having a lot of size, a lot of arm length really be a guy who dominates that contested catch situation. So he's pretty good for his size. Uh, so really good concentration at the catch point. And he's really quick to turn and get up feeling get yards for you. Uh, and he's willing to take and absorb contact at a high level despite being a smaller player with really good contact balance. I think he broke more than 30 tackles this year, I want to say. He was either like really high in the 20s or more than 30. And I know he got a lot of targets this year, but he broke a lot of tackles too, including one tackle attempt from Peyton Wilson at NC State. So he does a lot. And he's able to make you miss in the open field, too. So he's got good elusiveness. Uh, that being said, we talked about the size, the frame. He takes a lot of hits over the middle. And you do worry with guy, about a guy that size with durability. 
He's a bit of a short strider. Doesn't have elite top speed. He'll get caught from behind at times. Doesn't have great twitch either. Uh, and I do think that his separation genera- generated on routes is good, but not great at times because there are some rounded routes as well. Uh, and there's just got to sharpen his routes. Really. I think that's my base concern with him is if you just sharpen your route running, you'll get open every time. But for right now, it'll be kind of hit or miss to start in the NFL. But I'm willing to buy into the player here. That's why I gave him a fourth round grade. No, I think so as well. Do you view uh, like wide receiver three kind of upside? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you're you're going to yeah. play him obviously in the slot. But I think he does have the chance to be a starter for you there. I mean, think about some of the guys uh, the Eagles have started there in the past couple of years. The Jets started at times like with Braxton Berrios. Like he can do that kind of stuff. He can do that stuff and yeah. be fine. So I think, yeah, wide receiver three upside for sure with him. No, that's what I thought as well, right? Like, like I'd have Pearsall. I know not like necessarily the same player, but I have Pierce Ball like a tier above him. Um, but like these, you know, smaller wide receivers, I, I I was a fan. Yep, and that takes us to the final prospect for the show today. Just gonna go over two hours. Theo Johnson, <laughs> Titan from Penn State. Uh, so former uh high school wide receiver from Canada. So he's he's had a little bit of adjustment to make coming the U.S. and playing tight end for Penn State. I gave him a mid-fourth to early fifth-round grade, which is probably lower than a lot of people would uh, have seen for other sites, I would say. I think he's more of a slot tight end right now with just developmental in-line upside, but I think there is a role for him to play in-line in the future. Uh, he's above-average athlete at tight end position with an impressive frame and a frame and some positional versatility, but I think his route running and ability to craft the catch just are not there for a top 100 player. Like He's not that kind of guy right now. Uh, I was really disappointed after the catch. I thought he'd be a player who could really run away from guys or could break tackles, and he just wasn't that. Uh, so I think after the catch would be an area that he really needs to improve on. Uh, some of the positives, a lot of special teams experience. He plays in the slot, in line, at H-back, and even out wide times for Penn State, so he's got a lot of alignment versatility in college. Good arm length as well. Good size. You love the size. He's going to be able to tower over a lot of defenders he plays against. Real impressive frame with some room to add, uh, some add more weight. Uh, he's got the speed to run by linebackers. He's able to get to the second between the second and third level very quickly. He's got good at finding space and sitting down in space. He's able to mix route tempo, uh, some quick footwork at the top of the stem, and he's comfortable making catches with defenders in the space. He's got really strong hands, really reliable hand catcher, and he's a competitive blocker who's able to move off defensive backs. And uh, when he stays square, he's able to drive defenders back. The issue is that he is not a great blocker right now. He gets overpowered at times. He, he busted a couple of blocks that ended up leading to tackles for loss in the run game this year. Takes inconsistent angles to blocks as well. And his pad level as a blocker is not great at this point in time. So I'm kind of questioning his ability as a blocker. I can get there eventually, but just not right now. Uh, for a former wide receiver, like this is not like Sam Porter. Sam Porter last year, you could tell was a former high school wide receiver. You can't tell it with Neil Johnson right now. Uh, he struggles to get off the line of scrimmage when he's facing contact early. His release package is underdeveloped. I think his speed is more built up and sudden, and his route running is really developmental. He doesn't have sharp route running right now. Uh, he's not a natural separator. He does not sink his hips in the middle of the route, and he just does not generate a lot of separation or at all against defensive backs when matched up against them. Uh, so there's just too many shortcomings right now for me to really value him as anything more than maybe a late fourth-round flyer uh, or a mid-fourth-round flyer, but... I see the upside. I see the path. I just don't see the production right now to really warrant a uh, top 100 pick. He just really has never developed. You know, when yeah. Brenton Strange was there with him, 
Like Strange was better than him, but Theo Johnson was supposed to be the guy. Tyler Warren, who's going back to school, I even thought was better than him. It's like for like three years now, pretty much, I thought like this is going to be the guy because he has the size and he's going to run like he's going to test well. Eventually, like you have to do something on the field and he just never has been able to. And it's not like Penn State's a program that doesn't produce tight ends and has really struggled there. Like they have done well at that position. So I just, right, like eventually you have to do something and right, like it just hasn't ever translated. And right, and it, it maybe being a four, I, I don't know. I, he's just a prospect that, yeah, I'd love to take him in the fourth round, right? Like, especially in this year, tight end class, I think. Do, do you see him being a top 100? I, I just, I don't know where like Sanders falls. Like, I'm not high on Jaheim Bell. Depends where you view like Johnny Wilson, right? Like, yeah, but I, I say like Brenton Strange. Brenton Strange was the top 100 pick last year. Second like, round granted, pick. <laughs> it was a very questionable second round pick at that. But if that can happen, I think it could definitely happen for Theo Johnson. I think you yeah. could definitely, you could definitely have the coaching staff in his corner to, you know, back him up and he can get into the second round or not the second round, maybe the third round, but he can get into the top 100 for sure. I wouldn't value him there, but I think he could get there for sure. Just the way the tight end class is built up and how we've seen teams of value tight ends in the past. I think it can happen. Uh, he would not have been anywhere near my top five for tight ends on this past year's draft. So I think you have to take that into account, but we'll see. I think he does have the ability to go in the top 100 based on how the NFL values some of these guys at times. Yeah, I think there was enough buzz with him over the summer, too. I think enough people like him. If he plays well at the Senior Bowl, like we've seen Trey McKitty go in the top 100. Like, I would not be surprised yeah. at all. I just wouldn't take him in the third round. Like, By I the way, how about Tyler Warren, Keenan Prescorn, and Trey Harris all of a sudden go back to school, announcing it online, then immediately going off against each other in one bowl <laughs> game? I'm like, you sure you guys don't games. want to decide just to come out anyways? <laughs> I'm not surprised Tyler Warren went back to school. Like he'll be the guy unless they have some freshman or sophomore who's really good there, which I wouldn't be shocked. And you know, and, and I know you don't like Drew Allen, but like right, like it should be a little bit easier to you know be pretty productive next year. But it's like, man, there's no one after Brock Bowers, right? Like where does this Bryson Nesbitt come out? We don't know, but like, and there's just like no one. And I know Sanders was okay last night, but he's been banged up for so long. Just really hasn't done a ton this year that would warrant him being a, you know, in my opinion, a top 64 pick, but he may just end up going there, right? Like it's, it goes back to like, what's this, like the 2020 draft where it's like Adam Troutman and Dalton Keene and Cole Komet and like all these other guys, like in the, in the top 100. You know, the Patriots took two of them and like Josiah DeGuara. It's just like the value just isn't there. And it's just like, man, like, Take Tucker Craft in the third round. Packers made a good decision. Musgrave in the second, Craft in the third. Like, that's gonna be a pretty good duo, right? Like, like these guys, it's funny, Titan and Titans went last year too. It's just, you know, Kraft fell a little bit, but like, you know, like it wasn't like Laporta, Michael Mayer, and Kincaid and, and those guys lasted long. But still, man, last year was the year to take the tight end, not this year. So um, yeah, Leo Johnson. Uh disappointing uh that he hasn't really developed. Um, into the prospect I think many people thought which was like second round pick like where Brenton Strange went so we'll see but thank you for listening to the draft report catch us every Wednesday talking all things NFL draft related <laughs>